Welcome to the Arcade Repair Tips Question and Answer Podcast, the podcast that answers your questions about arcade repair and restoration. Now, here are your hosts, Eric and Chris. Welcome to Arcade Repair Tips, episode 65. I'm your host, Eric, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Great. Well, what's been happening with you since the last time we spoke? Oh God, we didn't we didn't even prepare for that. I know, I right? Gonna, no, <laughs> and it's been what like a year since we did an episode. Oh, it's not been that long. <laughs> Just since Dallas. Um, no, I've I've been fairly busy with work, but um, other than that, just been immersing myself in a little bit of board repair for some people. So that's right. I saw your tech room. You have some. Uh, some uh, new equipment, or you kind of rearranged, did some... Uh, I rearranged new- what I had and made it to where I didn't have to tilt my head every time I hooked up a, a vertically playing game to my LCD monitor so that I could test the games properly. And you had a game board <laughs> from... that's You know, this is pretty interesting. You had a game board that you're working on for one of our... Uh, one of our colleagues here in Houston uh, for well, tell me about what you had that you're populating the game board, uh, a blank oh, PC board. So yeah, so apparently somebody created or recreated the quantum, the Atari Quantum PC board from scratch. So it's a beautifully crafted board. It's it's done on um, on not the stuff that Atari originally produced. It, it looks a little more refined, uh, full fiberglass board. Um, but yeah, he's he he did a bit of work on it to begin with, and then turned it over to me and just said, "Hey, finish it, Fini- finish it for me, finish make it, make it work." <laughs> so yeah, so it was an interesting exercise of enumerating everything that was missing on there and generating a uh, a bill of materials for it. So and that's like a just a big Lego kit. You 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 get this blank board, and you have to populate everything yourself, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, literally everything, all the chips, everything, making sure that everything goes where it's supposed to go, all the bypass capacitors, every single component, every component <laughs> goes on there. Uh, and then, of course, the um, the gnashing of teeth and crossing of fingers when you hook it up to see whether or not you have to troubleshoot it. Which... You uh, you use the word or the phrase whether or not you have to troubleshoot it. I, so <laughs> I, I so I'm not terribly familiar with this project. I I know I, th- I think I saw it when it was in its beginning stages, where it's you know it's in the beginning of hey let's put on a show and and somebody says you know yeah okay we're going to really do this and and create this board. Um, but some afternotes of other people that have put it together, apparently they're saying use this kind of RAM, not this kind of RAM. Cause if you do, then there's graphics glitches and things like that. So I'm just, I'm kind of wondering, I, I, I approach these things with a bit of caution now. It's like, I'm pretty good at soldering, but you never know. Was there an addendum that came with the board or hasn't been disseminated with the board that says, okay, you got to cut this trace here to make it work. Um, now you mentioned that it, it was a, a slight alteration of the original board. Is, do you mean that the layout is different, or just the quality, the board itself, the, the material, the, the material and etching of the board uh, is different? It's it looks like it's a it feels like it's a heavier um, a heavier weight fiberglass 
board so as it's, opposed to a phenolic it's board. The same which would have been exa- not only, of course, it's the same schematic, but the layout right. is identical to the original board. It's just a uh, just a, a higher quality, higher quality uh, material, board. higher quality material, higher quality uh, etching. Um, you know, it looks like it looks like it's been uh, gold plated on the pads, things like that. Proper solder mask is laid down. I think on the original Atari boards, everything was just tin coated, um, and there was no solder mask. So, so there you go. And and Aaron went ahead and s- socketed. Oh, you just every- outed him. You just <laughs> outed him on radio. <laughs> yes, he. So so as I said, I, I'm getting it with part of the chips installed, but virtually sockets everywhere. I wonder if I would have everywhere. done that if I was starting fresh. If I was building the board out, I, I'm not so sure that I would have done that. What, what's that? Uh, socketed. Not, I'm not saying he did it wrong uh, the wrong way. I think I would have. Just for all the TTL logic chips, I think I I probably would have just soldered them straight to the board. And if there was a, you know, I I would test every chip before I put it in to make sure it was a good one, and then soldered it. I don't know. I think I think that's what I would have done. I I don't disagree. Uh, I I'm kind of so so. Well, there's yeah, no right sockets. or wrong to this, right? Well, there. There is everything is a everything is a compromise. I think so. When you solder a chip directly to the board, you're eliminating a connector. And, and a right. connector, as you well know, if you work on these old games, especially on the power front, oxidation and connectors don't go together. Dissimilar and, metals and dissimilar metals and all that good stuff. All the the the, the technology, the, the the engineering that comes into making a, a socket actually work. Um, it puts that to the test. The more, the more socket pins are in the way of connections, the more likely problems are to develop. And really, if it comes down to it, some of these 30 year old boards, if you have to replace four or five chips, uh, chances are pretty low that you're going to have to replace the chip. Now, Ram, EEPROMs, right. things like that. Sure, absolutely. Sure, socket all of those. Absolutely. Socket those. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the logic gates, which, by the way, we'll be talking oh, about this. What a segue! Well, and this is an early segue. <laughs> oh, no. we'll, we'll segue later. We'll come later. back to it. We'll come back to it. But uh, yeah, no, I, I so I don't disagree with you. Um, and I think, but on a positive, again, in my opinion, he used machine pin sockets. So, and you know, when we went in there and looked at the board, you and I had a discussion of machine pin mm-hmm. sockets versus uh, uh conventional sockets versus dual wipe sockets and what we like to use for no other reason not a right or wrong answer but just what we're comfortable right. with what we like to use and you know, do you want to talk about that for a minute we, we sure we can get into it and, and i'm one i'm actually i'm going to be curious if there, we we're going to have listeners out there that uh Are have differing opinions mail? but no so i i encourage the, re, the the feedback on this if anybody that would has be any some input. really geeky hate mail no <laughs> you must use this type of integrated circuit socket <laughs> I, I read in the book that the socket <laughs> is bad <laughs> so <laughs> the socket's an abomination no we won't go down that road but uh <laughs> so um so yeah, differing opinions. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, dissimilar metals. A lot of chips are are tin plated. Um, machine socketed pins are probably uh, bronze with um, you know either gold plating or something of the like. And um, I learned something when <laughs> I look because you have something on your test bench that I. 
do not have. Oh. You have a nice uh, my, uh, a, a um, nice stereo microscope. Stereo microscope, yes. <laughs> and I've never looked down in the depths of a machine pin socket, and I didn't know. I just made an assumption that this circular the the, the barrel the 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 part of it you know the pins just kind of f- was a you know friction fit into the circular cylindrical barrel part of it. but that's not that's not, not how true. it is it's not the not the case and yep. so it's like uh, look like there for this at least for the ones we that you have on that board uh were you know, a a uh three wipers three or four wipers i thought i saw four but so that was um, yeah. There's other kinds that have um, and those wipers are are um, I've seen them uh, in certain manufacturers of machine pin sockets where their spring tension is assisted by a helical coil going through them. So Ooh, so there's there's really some fancy. it it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's really like you know gripping it with iron death uh, or, or or a death grip or anything like that. But it definitely makes great contact at multiple points along the pin whereas a dual wipe socket um they're flat springs that if you're lucky are in fact contacting your icy legs in a couple spots right and you know i had been told for many years that the the machine pin sockets were the best way to go and when and for and for years that's what i used and when you take a when you pop the IC out of it, it to me it just felt like oh, it just doesn't feel like it's Little gripping loose. it properly. Yeah. yeah. And so I made a decision to you know I'm just going to go to the dual wipe type context. But after seeing <laughs> what I saw under the microscope, I think I'm going to have to go back. At this but point. you know, I don't even think there's necessarily anything wrong with dual wipe no. contact IC sockets either. Because think about it, these game boards are 30 years old and they're working. Right. And the only thing I will say about this whole topic is the older Scanby, S-C-A-N-B-E. Dead to me. Dead. Those sockets, I think everyone can agree that those are (laughs) just, they immediately get rid of them, throw them away. And those are the ones, uh, you know, I guess we can talk about that for a second. Um, (laughs) Scanby sockets were used, I guess, in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way that you can, I think they actually have that, name molded into they're the socket. molded right it's but part the, of the, the key thing is if you take a quick look at the socket if you cannot if it's just one solid piece of plastic if you it's not like a skeleton type mm-hmm. socket that's typically the scan b sockets and those they're junk junk total junk we don't even need Garbage. to talk about why they're junk they're just they're junk get rid of them replace them <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Where were we? so I think that was um, so we're talking about the uh, replacement, oh, the boards and the things like that. Quantum. Yeah, and I'm working on some some Sega G80 stuff and creating some. Uh, believe it or not, yes, you can make a Sega G80 to JAMA adapter. <laughs> it is possible. Um, um, so I've been busy constructing things like that and and uh, trying to make my bench jamma friendly with different adapters for specific game boards right i noticed you had quite a few jamma adapters in your uh in your tech room uh i do I've, that's that's on my to-do list i want to make uh make my own jamma adapters so i don't have to take my power supply and go to the test points and you know d- oh, do it all that, manually which is what that I'm helps now. enormously that's half half the battle and half the scary part of of doing a manual jumper of, of 
voltages to to that is the risk that you take of connecting them backwards. So the jam adapters just help with that. Once you get the connector soldered together, apply power to it without the game board and make sure that you expect to see the right power at the right pins before you plug in your specialty game board, um, you should be good to go. Uh, I've made a couple mistakes later on for like video feeds and things like that or controls. Uh, but other than that, that's uh, powers. Powers pretty good. Right. And you know, I made, I've, I've, uh, since our last episode, I've, repaired quite a few game boards but i do also have some new equipment on my test bench i, talk, I told you about that before we uh started the recording share the deliciousness <laughs> well I can't, I can't say that i know the exact model numbers of these but instead of using my uh power supply like what you have i think whatever it is it's big it's beautiful and you guys are gonna love it <laughs> i think you i think you had the same kind of setup that i had uh uh previously you you used a uh, you use a uh, computer power supply right i use a computer power supply for the g80 stuff because it has um specialty needs for voltages but most of the time i can get away with just using one of the regular little uh, uh, uh i don't want to say <laughs> i don't want to say jimmy chu cuz those are shoes uh <laughs> Timmy Timmy Chow, oh, the, Timmy Chan. No, that's a restaurant. Uh, oh, the the Peter 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 Chu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of it's that kind of night, y'all. Um, Which one is of those essentially it's the same thing, though, right? It's you know, twelve volts. Uh, it is. Five there's volts, yeah. There's a little less five volts. Little less power convert uh, uh, conditioning uh, on a one of those little power supplies, and certainly less power capacity on the arcade power supplies than there is in a PC power supply. Um, but the, there is a voltage that's missing, which is negative, negative 12. 12. Right. On, which doesn't have, you don't need that often. Not often. Not often. Some of the earlier games that had the kind of RAM chips that required. Right. And sometimes the audio, uh, the audio, uh, amplifier chips, I believe that was one of the, or maybe it was some video, actually, uh, some games had some the amplifier, video the ampli- amplifier, right. Amplifier chips for speakers typically were, were, uh, single pole, 12 volts. Uh, but the Ram chips, like, uh, certainly like, um, the Williams games, you need, uh, I guess the those are the four one one six four one six. You need uh, no. Those are plus plus uh, twelve volts minus five volts. But certainly the Sega G eighty stuff did require the uh, the other negative voltage for their uh, the analog op amps. Even in their sound section, they would have op amps to yeah. Generate op amps sounds. in general usually right. like to have negative voltage, and uh, sometimes the negative five just isn't isn't enough for it. Not enough of a swing, right? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so back to uh, my new acquisition cool. yeah, setup. So I've been for years. I've been using a very beefy computer power supply to get all my voltages, and I was doing some work on a oh, I think it was a oh, it was a pinball MPU board for an old Williams pinball game, and it had a uh, had a short on the okay. uh, uh, MPU board somewhere. A power, uh, well, you know, one of the rails was shorted. And I said, you know, it sure would be nice if I had a nice display to so I could view the uh, the, the voltage and the current consumption at the same time. Hmm. So I went all out and bought three linear power supplies, uh, HP or I'm sorry, Agilent slash Keysight power supplies, variable power supplies, so that I can uh, 
so I can monitor the current consumption and the output, if there's anything pulling down. Ooh, the- I'm having a brainchild for you right now. <laughs> right now, and I'm about to give you a gift. Okay. Because <laughs> you were saying that there was a short somewhere on the board on the power rails, right? Correct. So you can use your variable voltage power supplies to slowly ramp up the voltage. Yes. To where you can identify, and I think you have a thermal camera add-on for yes, your phone. Yes, I do. Point it at the board and look for a hot spot. And you there know, you know, Chris. Short. Actually, we haven't talked about this, but I I used that piece of equipment when awesome. I was checking it before I got the new power supplies. Awesome. Uh, but uh, the problem the problem component was not. It was actually just literally a mechanical. Right. Uh, it was, and it didn't show up on the the FLIR camera. For it. it was even if you start off with a low volt to where the chips won't heat up, but the actual short will. Actually, I think I used the FLIR before I picked up the new power supplies. Yeah, yeah. So use it with the use it with the variable because I did that when I worked for a major manufacturer of computer equipment that got shipped <laughs> to Japan um, for when we were manufacturing print server cards, and we would get occasionally uh, the fab house that was soldering everything together would mis-solder something, and they would have solder bridges underneath the surface mount chips, and we couldn't figure out where it was. So as opposed to just shotgunning everything and throwing away a $50 ASIC chip, we actually would connect these boards with a variable power supply. But we used the low-tech method of using these little temperature-sensitive sheets from Edmund Scientific that we would just lay on top of the board. Oh, wow. And turn it, and turn it on, and you just let it sit for a minute. Just let it sit for a minute, and then there will be enough heat rising from the area where the short circuit is to change the, the temperature-sensitive LCD sheet. Okay, so listen, so you use Chris, your I've got... your camera, and you'll be golden. Chris, I'm afraid I have a little bit of a confession to make. Uh-oh. <sighs> this was just an excuse to get what I what I, I I went into the store. I went into Fry's. Fry's is our local electronics. It's like a circuit city. Not sorry, not circuit city. Like a Best oh. Buy on steroids. It's a really large electronics store, and they have some. Uh, you know, they have uh, like Fluke and other. They have oscilloscopes and things like that. And they were they were getting rid of these things for about half price. And I was like, man, Eric I sure would them. like to have that power supply or several of them. <laughs> I, but you know what? It's really hard to justify this. You just really wanted to buy some really heavy weights to weigh down yes. your very lightweight test bench so that it didn't float away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know actually, that's what he I did. did. <laughs> I did, I did have to reinforce the shelf where I put the power. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Each one of these power supplies, I think, weighs oh, about, man. I don't know, 30, 30 or 40 pounds. I oh, mean, it's, wow. it has a huge toroid uh, transformer Dang. inside oh, of it. It's awesome. It's, of course, the first thing I did was pop one, <laughs> open one up just to see. How well it was made. But anyway, I digress. Awesome. So I'm going off. Awesome. I'm, I'm going way. So I got the new uh, the <laughs> new uh, power supplies for the test bench, and they're they're great. I'm I'm happy that. that Good. The, That's all that matters. That's really all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll never uh, uh, do enough repairs to recoup the money, but you know I'm I'm happy that I have them. <laughs> hey, they well you know when you need them you need them. 
Well, I don't, I don't think I've, I don't, I haven't sold any games, haven't picked any games up since the last time we spoke. I've done a lot of repairs since then, hmm. uh, but uh, nothing, nothing new. Uh, I'm still <laughs> trying to clear out my storage building, get rid of a few games, but that's. Oh, and uh, you haven't called me yet. <laughs> What's oh, up you, with that? Oh, okay. So we need to talk after this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did, however, make it out to the Southern Fried Game Room Expo, which if you um, if you ever listen to the podcast Game Room Junkies, which I highly suggest their podcast. It's a great show. Uh, those guys, uh, Preston and Patrick, put on a show every year, uh, Southern Fried Game Room Expo mm, in Atlanta. Now I'm just hungry. <laughs> Oh, you know, I want they, chicken. Yeah, they don't. They don't really have any food that's uh, can, no Southern fried anything there. Really, no food trucks. <laughs> and I made it. Uh, do they have food? No, no food trucks no. either. Oh man, what a chip! Come on now. <laughs> but what else do they have there? Uh, th- you know, those these guys put on a great show. This is their fourth <laughs> year of doing it. And where's and this at? This is in Atlanta. Uh, and it has grown. They're now in their second location. It started, you know, since Chris, since you've never been there, you do know the size of the Houston Arcade Expo. Yes. Probably started off that same size and has the, the one that's currently current. Yeah. Really? It started off, it started off strong, started off okay. you know, pretty, pretty big. And they have really grown the show. They, those guys are doing a fantastic job of, um, you know, they, they, they not only is it arcade, uh, video games, pinball, uh, they cater towards the uh, gaming, like uh, what would you call like board games? They have a whole huge section where they have you that. You mean like have, Monopoly? Right, well, yeah, but I, you, know, <laughs> you and I are old people talking about Wait, games we knew from I, the... I, I should have said that like a valley girl. You mean like Monopoly? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, you mean New like... New variants. You're of, talking like like... Like what? Like oh, uh, Cards Against Humanity? Stuff like that, right. And, oh, and everything okay. you can imagine. Uno. Oh, not yes. Uno. Yes, Uno. Chris. Uno. Uno. <laughs> Yahtzee. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a, uh, a big, I mean, there's, they have, you know, 50 tables set up for these people playing games. They have pro wrestling. Well, I don't know if you, what, do we, what would you call it? Uh, what's a good uh, description of what that would be like, uh, like, uh, wrestling uh not i don't want to use the word scripted what's the uh what's the way to describe that that's wrestling <laughs> <laughs> where it's uh you know where they have characters uh but they have a a wrestling ring set up there they have wrestling. bands playing they uh just you know just such a variety of you know kind of uh not only the arcade stuff, hmm. but some pop culture things. So games of all kinds. Games of all kinds. They're catering hmm. to a very wide, uh, interesting audience. Um, so that was, and that was really fun. Uh, met, you know, it's I feel kind of out of my element when I go there. I, I don't know that many people. I'm you know far from my friends, but I've <laughs> you know know met a few people there. So it's uh, it was fun to go to the show. So while I was at the Southern Fried Game Room Expo, I ran into Rich and Kendra from This Old Game, which, Chris, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, with their company, but they provide artwork, uh, reproduction artwork for many of these classic games, both uh, silk-screened and 
uh, printed. Ooh, gonna have to check that out. Yeah, and it's, it's some fantastic uh, quality. Uh, the zookeeper that I have, I don't know if you have you seen the zookeeper that I'm, oh, I. Oh yeah, and, I saw the zookeeper that you built that you built from scratch. Yeah, and all the artwork on that is. You mean the zookeeper him. that I made your wedding cake after? That, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I need to. We need to have some kind of a link so people can see the groom's cake that you made for oh, me. Oh yeah, a, a we year should ago. see if uh, Jonathan and Tim will uh, will post those. Right. So it was kind of fun so, to make that. I w- married uh, was married last year. Last year, a little um, over, a little over a year I'm ago. Pa- I'm saying touch. this slowly so I can get the right date. <laughs> April 9th, I believe it was. <laughs> anyway, the point- send in your anniversary gifts to po- Arcade Repair Cat. <laughs> <laughs> the point of this is that my buddy Chris here made the groom's cake for me and did a phenomenal job. Made a zookeeper. Uh, cake that was arcade cabinet, arcade cabinet, and it was yeah, it was fantastic. It was it was great. Even had a light up marquee on it, right? Yep. And I know you spent like crazy amount of time on this thing. It was just like it was just like a TV show up against the up against the gun, up against the timer, arriving fifteen minutes before they're supposed to walk down the aisle with the cake, uh, with with just like minutes to spare. And it was awesome. It was you, great fun. You made two of them, right? And the first, but in case anything went wrong with them. yes, and uh, unfortunately cracked the first version of some sides. So I was stuck with one cake, and it was like, okay, well, <laughs> it's either going to be a barn fine cake, or it's going to be uh, this is a pristine zookeeper cake. So anyway, so let's. I, I guess I better get myself back on track. Yes. So. The zookeeper that I have that I built from scratch uh, has all the artwork from this old game on it. They did a package, and they do this. They do mm. this uh, often. They'll make an entire artwork package for a game. Uh, not only the adhesive side art, but the uh, the glass, the marquee, the monitor bezel, uh, other parts of it. So they and they're able to silk screen as well as use um, uh, you know print out on a. I'm not going to call it an inkjet printer. It's <laughs> far more advanced <laughs> than that. Which is why we are going to uh, cut over to a segment where I was able to talk to Rich and Kendra about the process of making this artwork, uh, of uh, the the various types of artwork that they make. Not only that, but how they give some uh, instructions on, uh, Rich tells us the best way to uh, affix the this artwork to your game, the best way to apply it to your game. Fascinating. Yeah. Let's roll over to it now. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> hey, guys. I'm here at the Southern Fried Game Room Expo in Atlanta, Georgia, and with me are my special guests for the day. I'm at the booth for this old game with with Rich and Kendra. Hey, guys. Hey, Hello. how's it going? And I want to talk to them about, some. first of all, how he goes about making his artwork, and secondly, some recommendations on how to install the artwork on your game. So let's start off with, with this. Rich, when you're you do a variety, you do not only silk screening, but you do some other processes as well, right? I do. I do both silk screening and solvent printing. Now, silk screening, of course, is that's like when you have your get the, where you see the shops that make the T-shirts. You have a screen for each individual color, right? Correct. And it's just the ink 
flows through the the ink flows through the porous material and some of it's blocked and it you put you lay down one color then you have to align the next screen and do for each individual color right each individual color a little bit different than t-shirts uh, first that's how mostly all of the arcade artwork was done back in the day so almost virtually everything from back then was silk screened uh, the only difference between say a control panel or, or a marquee or something from a t-shirt is that the the inks have to dry in between each color so like a t-shirt you'll you'll print one color and then you'll print the second color you print the third color with the arcade artwork it's printing one color allowing it to dry before you can set up for the next color which could be hours it could be days depending on the type of ink that you're working with right and speaking of how they did it originally so of course they were printing silk screening on glass plexi uh, but they were also screen printing directly on the wood for a lot of cabinets, right? Right. So some, some of them, uh, and, and some of them were multi-processes, like say, like a Pac-Man or a Miss Pac-Man, where they would stencil the first couple of colors, and then they'd silk screen the, uh, the last black, the, the last co- black, the, the detail color that had all the detail. That would be silk screened directly to the wood, um, right, right onto the cabinet. So I'm looking at your table. You have a few different marquees, uh, Berserk, Star Wars, etc. How many? There may not be a typical to this, but how many, like say Berserk, how many colors do you silk screen onto that? Generally, and this probably applies to most silk screening pieces, um, whether it was Atari or Nintendo or what have you. Most most palettes uh, that are screened are usually in the five, six color. It, it, five or six colors generally is the top of of what you'll see in each printed piece for the for the most part. And did you have to experiment with different types of inks to get the... If it's a marquee, it obviously has to be a bit translucent for the for it to light up. Did you have to experiment with different types of ink to make that happen? Not, you know, not really. I mean, most most of the inks are inherently transparent already. So, so the inks are not really made to be opaque um, to begin with. So they're naturally somewhat translucent for, like, say, a marquee. If you're putting it onto a, a control panel or if you're screen printing vinyl... That, that solid white base becomes your background. And that's, ah. that's what tends to give the colors their pop is when you're putting it down on, if say, you, white. you start with white. Right, that, if you start with helps, white. As you build up on it, it, it helps make those th- those colors more vibrant. And, interesting. And, and vice versa, if you're putting it onto, say, clear plexi from the backside, white's your last color. And it, the li- it kind of helps disperse the And it helps disperse the light and kind of, you know, even things out to, to help it. There's a lot of cabinets that are not black because of this. There, there's a, there's a few that you print the white on, and it, the white doesn't pop. It kind of goes into a gray tone. Yeah. So, so and, most, most of that artwork isn't done on black, um, for, yeah. for primarily that reason. But you know, early on in the '70s, they had like one or two like that. So it, it was kind of interesting. It's like, oh. <laughs> what's what's a an, exa- an example of a game that may they may have done that? Death Race. Oh yeah, that's a that's a so- okay, right? Solid black. But no. that was definitely. But you know that may one, have been intentional, two. right? Keep it kind of a dark theme. It, it maybe? could be, but it wasn't. It wasn't really the norm. I mean, you have a couple of others, you know, the, some big popular ones like say Asteroids or Defender. But outside of that, you don't get that many more black right. uh, cabinets. Yeah. So I find it interesting. So many people cover the and arcades now, and now with you get black. all these custom it's, it's hilarious because you see all these custom guys 
who are out there and they make like black Pac-Man. Right. Or black Ro- they have the Robotron <laughs> reverse black artwork. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Or, or, you know, they take like a Ms. Pac-Man, which is, you know, generally blue or a Pac-Man that's yellow and they make it black. Um, which, you know, is interesting, but it would be really hard to stencil if you do it. Defeats the purpose the of making a black marquee when you're trying to light it light up. Light everything you, up. And you make yeah. it all black. To each his own, I suppose, <laughs> right? Yeah. So now that's silk screening. How about the other process, the solvent? The solvent printing? Solvent printing is a lot easier. Um, it does have some limitations, uh, colors being one. Um, you're, you're limited to, you don't get that vibrancy that you get with silk screening. So the colors tend to be a little more muted. Um, but its advantages, you know, kind of outweigh a lot of that because you can do a lot more one-off pieces um, that you generally wouldn't have time to silkscreen, um, you know, or, or the demand. to Usually in silkscreening, you have to print enough to make up the to justify, to justify the, the cost effort of putting and, and, and the time involved. Right. And I talked to you the other day about, you know, of course you will have, well, you'll be selling one item that you've silkscreened, and once you're done with the production, you set the screens off, and I asked you, well, what happens if you want to, two years later, make that same product? How easy is it to just grab the, those screens and do it again? And your answer was? Basically, I mean, almost the same amount of time you put into it the first time. So, and, and again, if you screened, you know, 25 or 50, you're going to want to do that again, whether, right. whether it's today or two years from now. Um, it's probably a little easier the second time around because you... But not much. But not much because you've already mixed the colors. You already know a lot of the You the, know the some of the setup stuff, process. Right. You know some of the setup process, What, how you mix the colors or, or you know what screens you used and things like that. I'm, I'm so. glad you've talked about this because I will see on the forums people will jump to the conclusion, well, they've already made the screens. It should be really easy, especially with the play fields, like CPR play fields up in Canada. The, well, you've, you did them one time before. It's got to be easy to do it again but it's not it's a it, it, it's not and you generally not you don't really save those screens either um because especially you know I, I can't talk for cpr but i mean i can only assume that they probably recycle those screens out so they're reusable so once once you've shot it you've you've coated it with emulsion you've you've used it um there's no reason to keep it you're going to move on to the next project um, you know, because because you have a, a screen for every color, for every piece, think about how many screens that's going to add up to, and it adds up really quick. And that screen got, itself, I'm sure, is rather pricey. The screens are, are, are pricey. You, you know, frame, depending. I'm assuming sometimes. Well, especially frame. the custom ones. That yeah, we the, get. the custom ones. I mean, just just uh, um, for, for a comparative, I had a custom size screen made large enough to screen side art so so for you know you're looking at basically three foot by six foot screen it, and multiple colors so and multiple screen colors for every color screen for every color um you know would run somewhere in the 250 to 300 dollar range for something that size for one color um you can use that one screen and do one color break it down reuse it for the second color um you know but also storage of those screens you know, you'd need a warehouse to just store those sure. things. Not to mention if they get hot or they're in the sun too long, then the stretch goes out and you have to get them redone anyway. How about when you're going from one color to the next? It seems to me like the alignment. I mean, your screens are so fine. The detail is so fine. I mean, it just has to be 100% perfect. So the is, do you sometimes, you know, get to the last color like, oh, man, this one's just slightly off. We got to scratch, you know. 
dispose it, of these? It, it, it ends up in the trash can, or, or I give it to Kendra to laser cut. And she yeah. <laughs> I get all the rejects. Um, I have a stack of, of artwork that just didn't quite make it. So I cut it up, turn it into artwork. Um, I put it on notebooks. I use it for collages. But, but again, because it's because of that process, you could get to that last color and find out at the very end that, oh, there's something wrong. Yeah. You can't just fix that one color. You've got to basically start over. You go back to color one, and all of the all the material generally you, you can't save. You can't, like, just, you know, erase it or, or wipe it off and start over. you got to really start over, have new glass made or new plastic wow. cut. Well, it's, you're when back it comes, to square one. When it comes to the glass, I'm, I do um, a turpentine bath, and... I help with that. Not too much because it gets heavy and I'm like, okay, I cleaned it off. I shook it out. And then we end up rinsing it off and starting all over. So for a control panel overlay, yeah. you you know, they're just, they're scrap. They're gone. But right. for a marquee, you can theoretically. As long as it's glass because you yeah, can't. Not, not plexi because I guess it may kind of soak in or it's. It, it would it, it, You'll scratch the, it, I guess. You'll, you'll, you'll scratch it up and. and uh, the and, turpentine and does some eat of the, it. Uh, some of the chemicals will, will make the edges start to crack. So yeah. if you've ever cleaned a piece of plexi with like lacquer thinner yeah. or something, particularly around the edge, and I've you, seen it get cloudy, it'll also get cloudy, yeah. it'll start cracking yeah. around cloudy the edges. Is a, is a big factor. So it, now that I have the laser, um, because that's my my thing. Now I'm like, let's let's get a laser, and he's like, okay, and I I'm in charge of the laser, so I'm part of production now, which is really fun, and he puts up with me doing it. And every once in a while, he'll come out, and he's like, what are you cutting? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> so your glass for the marquee, the marquee glass is probably cut and pur- purchased and cut from a local glass shop. Yes. Right, yeah. We're super lucky because we, we have a glass vendor, like, literally across the street from the shop. So, um, so it's yeah. allowed us... It, it took a lot of the uh, the work out of my hands to, you know, like when we did plexi and stuff, where I had to cut it down... Um, you know, myself, like in house, and uh, with the glass, it was easy because we could just turn in the dimensions the over them. He's right yeah. across the street, and we could, you know, turn in an order one day and then just literally pick it up the next day. Yeah. Uh, now, how about the plexiglass? Do you cut that to size in house? What, what we do, we do now since since we bought the laser. So I'll I'll buy sheets of acrylic, um, four foot, eight foot sheets at, at a time, and we'll bring it down, cut, just kind of do rough cuts, small enough to get into the laser. Yeah. So and it's. I know there are different types of. You know, I said plexiglass. You said acrylic. There's different types of these different, treads. So the, you use. It's just called acrylic. It's. I know when you go to Home acrylic, Depot, you'll see different versions of plexiglass uh, acrylic. It's all. It's like plexiglass acrylic sheeting. It's. It's like all the same thing. It's just. You know. Um, the the major difference is the thicknesses. Um, if you're going to get a color, if you're getting clear. Eighth inch, sixteen. There, there's, there's other variations of. Uh, I laser of, cut the missile command Lexan, bezel, but you can't laser cut the Lexan. So we yeah. generally tend to stick with just plexi acrylic. Yeah. Right, it's all the same thing. Right. Yeah. So when you make a new product, what is your criteria for determining whether you want to make it using the silk screening process or the solvent process? If it has metallics. Okay. Straight up. That it, would be one. That, that would be one factor, like outweighing, like. What advantage does inkjet, the inkjet stuff like the solvent, have over silk screener or vice versa? Um, number one would be some, you know the demand for, for one because if you have enough demand for a product, 
like early on it was easy because everybody everybody wanted like say Donkey Kong. Yeah. So Donkey Kong Pac-Man, those things were things that you could screen print in large yeah, massive You're going to be making hundreds everybody, of these. Right, yeah. Hundreds, everybody needs them. Then you start getting into the more rare things that only a handful of people want or need. And sometimes and it's hard to justify niche, screen printing all of those odds and ends. Um, if so, and also perhaps if somebody needs something in a hurry, if you're doing something for someone. Yeah. Correct. Now another reason that you are here, you're obviously here to promote your business. You have some product here to sell, some nice t-shirts, nice selection of marquees. Mostly it's meet and greet. So you just you wanted a presence here, but you're here for another reason. There was a reveal here at the show. Yes. A great story of a Nintendo game from the 80s that was programmed. They made a few of them, but then they didn't t- it didn't test well, so they destroyed them. And, you know, if you want to hear the whole story, I suggest you go over to the Broken Token uh, webpage, and you can go then be transferred to the Sky Skipper webpage. So this new old game called Sky Skipper was unveiled at the show, and all artwork on the game was produced by you, correct? Correct. It was uh, printed. What was, 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 yeah, what, so we printed it uh, in conjunction with, with Whitney, Whitney Roberts, who is behind Broken Token and the Skyskipper Project. Um, he approached me six months ago, maybe, and, and we started talking about doing the project for, for what would become, what was this weekend, uh, the unveiling of, of the, uh, the, the long-lost Skyskipper and you were able, you or Whitney, were able to go into the Nintendo of America headquarters. Oh, and that was scan, Whitney. That was Whitney, and he was able to scan in, scanned in the original artwork that, uh, which that, they that, of course would not release. They wanted to keep that in their archive, correct? Correct, correct. And so, so they, they allowed him through through a series of, of uh, funny stories and channels, which which included Walter Day and Billy Mitchell, and um, he finally was granted access to Nintendo. Went to Nintendo. They allowed him to scan. Uh, the artwork um, th- that artwork was uh, was then uh, cleaned up um, by, by another uh, by another friend mutual collector uh, Ollie over in the UK. Those files came back to me, and That's then cool. I did my work to it, which was mostly in color correction and actually manufacturing the printed pieces um, of the plexi marquees and, and the, 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 the whole package, right? The whole, had... the whole package. I got to laser cut the um, marquee, or not the marquee. Yeah, the marquee too, right? The marquee and the control panel. The, so the marquee and the control panel, I actually got to laser cut, but that's it. All, uh, all of the artwork is identical to all Nintendo, all the basic Nintendo games, like Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. and Popeye. Same size, the same, same size, of same colors. Uh, no, more, no, no, more or less. More, more or less is the same number of colors, but the, the same way it was printed. So the, you know, the control panel is plexi just like a donkey kong or a popeye yeah uh, everything's done the exact same way as it was yeah so did you make several several of these uh well we've sent him probably four sets um the first one to see the colors and then after he saw it printed he's like hey let's change this and this and this and i'm like cool. we, we, yeah we went through several a, a few revisions yeah uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say yeah um, and we came up with the final product of, yeah of what would become the skyscraper and, and, and eventually if they go on to sell the kits um, what would be the final art package that somebody could purchase at a later time yeah. right well uh, m- my favorite part of it excuse me sorry my favorite part was 
um, Rich would mention things just in passing, like on the phone. Do you, are you sure you want this blue? And he's like, Yeah, yeah, I definitely want it blue. And he's like, And Rich is thinking, Okay. And uh, he gets off the phone. He's like, I'm going to make this as white just because that's how it was originally. And just in case this needs to be switched out. So he made both versions. And it was funny because he hands it to me. And I'm looking at him like, it's it's nice. It's good. And he's like, yeah, it's not quite... I'm I'm gonna go ahead and print this. You you send this to Whitney now, and I'm just gonna go ahead and print the white one right now, and I'll get you a laser cut. And I was like, okay, cool. So I pack it up, send it off, blah blah blah. He he's working on the white one literally for the next two three days because it takes a while to do CPOs. Anyway, Whitney calls. He's like excited. I got the package. I opened it up. Can we do the white one? <laughs> and R- Rich, I think, um, had me take a picture with my phone and say, "Already on." Already his- done. <laughs> yeah. Read your mind. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. I, I, just inherently, just through the entire project, I I tend to look at things a little differently. Coming from a screen printed background, I, I can look at things and you and know what's going to work. I kind of know ahead of time what's going to work and what's not going to work. And and uh, but he's been doing it so many years. And and sometimes. And this goes for a lot of different projects. People will come to me and, and say, this is what I really want. And I'm like, no, this, this is probably what you want. I know you, you think want. Yeah, you, you want I know it, you think you know what you I want. I know what you want better than you know right. what you want. Well, it's not just that. It, he knows what the rules are when it comes to the artwork. The, the, there are particular rules and guidelines. And if it doesn't follow the designing rules, in general. it won't look right. Because when it... Yeah, when it, when it comes to, uh, like... When we did Pauline, we fought dog and tooth about the cabinet color. I wanted it this color. He he wanted it. it was like three colors we were choosing from for the for the background where you put the the side art on. The, just the color paint chip. And no matter what, we could not agree at all. And finally, um, one of our customers came in and he, and we're like, well, finally. A third person which one and he's like this one i'm like fine good done <laughs> because it all three colors match the criteria so trying to choose between the two was difficult i wanted it more purple he wanted it more pink because he thought it would be more girly and of course i was like that's a stereotype <laughs> but that was a like four weeks of fighting about color right <laughs> another thing that you do is make alternate artwork for some of the games, some of the existing games, like uh, the, like the Atari Video Pinball. Wasn't that one of them? Right. I, I took I, I took a, an original Atari Video Pinball and I basically Tronitized it, um, where I made a, a Tron version of a Video Pinball, which made more sense to me than like say taking a traditional pinball machine. And retheming it to, to Tron. But I'm going to put a stipulation in here. No actual Tron video pinballs were hurt in the process. He hand routed <laughs> it from scratch. You know, he, he he used a hand router because CNCs are I, for I, fancy I did not people. A, a he did do pinball. get 
crazy but, about that. Yeah, don't I, they? but I'm they very do. specific about this because he didn't destroy <laughs> any. He did get parts for it from different people who had ones that had fall, but, fallen but apart. But the cabinet itself was a replica cabinet of the original Atari. Yeah, pinball so he he never he never destroyed any games. Two of it. Um, all of the cabinets that have been lane lane to pasture and 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 put out of their misery it's due to the fact that we could not save them we do try to save them as much as possible but sometimes the mold and and things to have destroyed them in such a way that we can't but yeah it's just the way I'm it just, is i'm just because a lot of people get very mad at the video pinball well it's, it's the same thing as, yeah. as cars there's a lot of plastic cars but you know more of them are in a junkyard rotting you know it's just like anything else they, yeah you know some but, of them just go away but he he did he did it by hand i saw him I, I i swept out the dust and all the sawdust that went up to my knees that's how much he he went through and cut every little piece at the shop and it, it, it's a beautiful cabinet i love it very much it's one of my favorite homebrews that he's done but he's done three so far far that have been completed Well, I do have an Atari video pinball, so maybe I need to. And I have a thing scratched into the side of it. And oh, but I'm going to get hate hate mail if I convert one. When it comes to (laughs) that, but it's my game. I can do it. When it comes to that, we have a specific 3M vinyl that we use. Like they use for cop cars so that it shows up when the light hits it. Oh, a reflective. Is it like a a a glass? no, no, it's just 3M reflective vinyl. You okay. know, oh, you the sh- vinyl itself. Not, yeah. Not, yeah. not, not right. one of the so side art. Right. The side art itself was printed directly yes. to that light reflective so vinyl, so it when, sort of uh, illuminates. Yeah, so when it, it does illuminate, it does, it's brilliant. But we don't offer that. Wow. So this is not going to translate to audio very well, but I'm looking (laughs) at a picture of it, and it looks fantastic. Obviously, you can go to their website and see a picture of it. I'm sure. It's on Instagram, It's on Instagram. So, uh, but we don't... We we would be able to sell the artwork, but it wouldn't be the same as the prototype, I guess you would sure. say. Yeah. But well, um, we also avoided selling it as a package or a conversion package, mainly because of licensing. Yeah, we didn't want to get in trouble with Disney. Disney. And I had, yeah, you we've, know, we've unofficially been some Disney people, you know. Uh, help with the project as well as sort of like a you know a, well I guess we better not thing. dig into this too much <laughs> yeah we haven't sold it okay so um, we've we've talked about this it is with for several, friends and family yeah <laughs> we've talked about it to several people but until we get permission yeah I've and been approached t- uh, several times to do it but it's just not, yeah it's not, it's, not worth the it's risk. definitely a one of a kind right now and and if we can get through certain doors because. Many times, like Rich, Rich has called Nintendo and and talked to them and told them about the D2K project. And any any time he does a project, he contacts the legal department and he's like, "Hey, can we do this? Because this is what we're trying to do." And it's hard to get a hold of them because they're they're. I'm sure they have so many requests. The well, larger, I'm sure I do well, just, just like when Whitney tried to get a, in touch with them for Skyskipper. Yeah. <laughs> so it, which. Yeah, you know, he basically ran into a brick wall, the same, the same as we did with the Donkey Kong project. But we finally did get through to the legal department, and and he's like, I'm not saying no, and I'm not saying yes. Uh, these are the stipulations. If you cross this line, we will come down on you with both feet. And we're like, we're cool with that. And they're like, you can't. If you if it makes this much money, you owe us money. 
And I'm like, <laughs> we'll never make that much money. <laughs> you're, you're so sweet. But no, there's not that many collectors. <laughs> How many new products do you make each year, roughly? Sure, um, geez, I don't know. I mean, uh, we add one to the website daily, we're, but we're, we're only probably at forty percent. Updating the website daily was something new, probably every day. Um, and this is not a side job for you, right? This is not in addition to a regular job. Or a, no, uh, this is pretty much what we do now. Yeah, this, this, this is, is your business. livelihood. It, it finally this took is, over. Yeah, um, I, I used it. It started off as a side hobby thing uh, for, for myself. When I bought my first game, it needed a new control panel. And I just happened to be working in that industry where I could make a new panel. And uh, from there, it just continued to, to grow and escalate and yeah. and uh, decided he, to take it solo and went full-time with it. Yeah, How he, long ago was this? Uh, 1999 was when I first did the first piece. Um, yeah. I was working in architectural graphics. Um, we, were, we were actually building the... Uh, the uh, the baseball field for the Houston Astros, which at the time was in Ron Field. Minute, minute, the new Minute Maid Field. Now it's Minute Maid Park. Yeah, yeah. I live in Houston. So there you I, go. I was, oh. I was at the field so a week know. ago. You know. I, I did every every graphic that you see in that stadium was screen printed by me personally. Except for the Minute Maid. That's, Except for the Minute Maid stuff. I yeah. did all the Enron stuff. So originally when that park opened in, in 2000, um, we, we had worked on it probably two, three years before, before it actually opened. And... Uh, and yeah, and I screen printed everything, everything in that stadium. Yeah. Well, I'm going to change gears on this conversation oh. and talk about the process of putting the artwork on a machine. Now, when I say that, I mean specifically like the side art. Uh, you know, there's different methods. There's the the wet transfer. You know, putting you know, putting some uh, like detergent, you know, some soap or and where you can move it before you, you know, apply it or just put it on dry if you're that coordinated. How about yourself? What what do you prefer? It it really depends almost every almost everyone has a different approach or technique to it. So it really kind of depends on what the cabinet is that you're applying the art to. Um, whether you choose to do wet or or dry. Uh, the first determining factor I would say if it's a painted cabinet, just it's wood and it's just paint, you want to go on dry. Um, you know, whether it's small or big, it doesn't really matter. You don't, you don't want that water soaking in through the paint if it's not totally sealed, getting to the wood and having that wood swell up and, and do all kinds of damage to, well, to the I cabinet. Well, I think primer is super important when it comes to wood because... It, it, it depends how the, how the cabinet's prepped. So if it's, if it's, primer or paint you want to do it dry um now other things um laminated if 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 it's uh, like the skyscraper project for example you have the blue nintendo you've got you've got a hard laminate on on the um on the cabinet water is not going to hurt that and generally i'll do those wet because vinyl on that hard laminate sticks like nails and you don't get a second chance at that so the wet method in that case, or if you're going vinyl to vinyl, um, like uh, uh, like say a, like, like a Frogger, uh, like a Frogger for example, it's got the wood grain vinyl, and you're going to put vinyl on top of that. Again, yeah. doing it wet method, that water is not going to see through that vinyl, and so you're better off doing it wet. You can get a nice smooth, um, you know, zero bubbles without having having mm-hmm. to deal with that extra, you know, hard uh, 
gluing adhesive type that'll just stick the second you squeegee it down. Yeah. Now, how about temperature, ambient temperature and humidity? Do you would you say for your for your artwork, hey, if it's you know above or below a certain temperature, wait until you can. Uh, do you have a preferred temperature? Um. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, because like. If it's too cold, the vinyl is going to tend to be more brittle, and and it will tear. And it'll like, tear or just just kind of break if it's too cold. Um, you know, it, same thing with paint. If it's if it's too cold, the paint's not going to dry. So if you're if you painted your cabinet and, and you and it's degrees. thirty degrees outside, but you did it two weeks ago, that paint still ain't dry. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's pretty important. It, 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 it that's is. That's something that people really probably don't think about, well, right? Because they the just stencils. assume, okay, I did this two yeah, weeks it's ago. It's it's I, I'm rubbing it. It's it's fine. It's dry. It feels dry, but, but it's it, not. It, it's no. totally not because it hasn't finished outgassing because the temperature's not hot enough to, to really cure the paint and make sure that all the all the solvents and chemicals have have basically outgassed out of it. Yeah. And the, you go the curing process takes. You go putting your side so art on much. there. It's not going to stick, or it's going to continue to outgas, and you're going to end up with bubbles. Yeah. And the thing's just going to end up falling off on you. Yeah. How about humidity? Humidity is a factor. So um, what is it? Do, do the stickers stick better in lower humidity, higher humidity, right in the middle? It's uh, more again, in the almost middle like, because we're we're in Oregon. We have a lot of rain all the time, and his stuff sticks beautifully. Right. So but it, if you're like in Houston where you got a lot of high humidity, you're you're probably gonna of, have a harder time getting stuff to to stick, especially if you're doing something like stencils. You want to we'll, bring it in the house, take it out of the garage. We'll, we'll get a lot of uh, a lot of calls on you know, hey, my stencil's not sticking, or I got the stencil to stick and I can't get the pre mask off. Um, you know, and a lot of times the temperature and the humidity are one of those biggest are, are two of the biggest factors in, in doing something like that. And you know, I'm saying this from experience. If I'm working on a game and I get the the new I get the artwork in the stencil set in, I get excited. I'm like, ah, let's let's make this happen. But you really shouldn't rush the process. You sh- you need your. Do conditions you prep the be- cabinet before you put on the stencils? Do I what? When do you start prepping for the cabinet for the stencils? Oh well, you know I've done pinball machines, yeah. uh, video games as yeah. well. Uh, you know I've gone from building it straight from the you know, a new wood yeah. to uh, primer paint, yeah. and I've also sanded down cabinets. So, uh, but I'm now rather patient about it. I, okay, I try good. to, just as you said, I try to make sure everything has plenty of time to the paint to cure. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. But, and that's that's me learning my lesson of doing things <laughs> improperly, and that's why we're talking right now. So exactly. That people, it, other people can learn from our my mistake. Exactly. And, and when you, and when you get around to actually applying the artwork, like so, if you're putting down that that side art, you don't want to rush it. You want to take your time, you know, doing it. I, I have a video on on YouTube applying side art. And oh, do you? Okay, I, I do. And what's your What's the name of your YouTube channel? It's, this whole game. Okay, a, there's not a real channel. It's just all the videos that he does. Yeah, but but if you go and, and you search and, for this whole game, search for this whole and game, and you look as, for as the a, little logo channel, that's blue with it. the white. And, and I've got several videos on applying side art. You know, applying side art 101 kind of kind of things where it kind of takes you through the process. And I mean, I'll spend you know a couple of hours sometimes mm-hmm. just prepping it before I go to lay the the vinyl, and then even while I'm doing it. I may take a couple of hours just, you know, going through it step by step, slowly at a time, you know, putting that artwork on an inch, an inch at a time until it's, you know, all, 
all the way But he also on. takes like two weeks to prep the cabinet if it's like for stencils. Yeah, and some of, I mean, some of that stuff just for time is left out, out of the videos for the most part. I'm kind of like showing you the final step and you want to take your time doing, doing that. And you know, one thing I have learned over the years of putting on large decals, large artwork, side art or pinball machine, the whole side, is two people... Uh, two people working on it is much better than than doing it by yourself. Uh, for me, okay, right, right. You should check yeah. out my video. You should check out my video because I, I need I, to do that. I, I, I did. I did do it all myself. I generally don't have uh, people helping me, but when you do have two people, I mean, they, they can help you do some of the other things. But some of the, the the tips that I that I give you is all sort of like a one on one thing, stuff that you can do, and tips that you may not have thought about doing. Um, so, like, when you're rolling, say, side art out, I'll use, like, uh, like Tubi, like, from, you know, Christmas paper or even if you go to Home Depot, buy a, a, a PVC pipe that you can use to help to help uh, roll that side art out. Or if you get our vinyl, it comes in a tube and it's awesome to use. use you the can use packaging some, some of the tube. packaging, too, and, and, and that will save you, you yeah. know, just some real small, simple Simple things that you normally wouldn't think of, like, oh, you know, like a flashlight underneath your control panel when you're trying to align your uh, CPO up to, if it doesn't have the holes punched, you can, yeah. you know, shine a light from the bottom side. Well, um, if you got these kitchen ones that are round and flat that are small little flat awesome kitchen ones at from the, the dollar, dollar store, store. For like a buck, and you can just lay them out all on the yeah. table and just put your control panel right up there, light up each button and know exactly where that panel, you know, that control panel uh, CPO needs to be. Yeah. You clamp it down and then... You know, just lay it right down in place where it needs to be. Yeah, and great, I make sure, great tip. and I make sure to have all the blue tape ready, so that if he's doing like a kick plate, like Mappy, he makes like a little hinge and then flaps it yeah, out. Smaller, smaller pieces. Yeah. And again, on on the YouTube, I have little, uh, yeah, little tips and tricks like that for doing small yeah, decals and stuff, yeah. and create little hinges and stuff. But this is fly. this is for collectors who are doing it themselves, or you know, not having a ton of people helping because the only person. I, he has to help him as me, and I like to hold the camera. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so not, the I'm point not. of this is go to the YouTube channel. Not sorry, not the channel, but go to YouTube and search for this old game, and yeah. there's going to be a, some great video content. Oh, we also have Saturday Supercades in the far back. If you go really deep, it's they're they're quite entertaining. So Saturday Supercade. Yeah. Supercade. What is yeah. That? Well, we were. Or should we just? Find out for ourselves. You know what? Find out for yourself. They're, I find them funny because it gives me a little chuckle, especially, um, you know, our, the arc, arcade addiction one. So, Excellent. Well, Rich, Kendra, thank you very much for your time, and hopefully this will help people out with the process of putting on the artwork, and it's always fun to learn the process of how everything is done. Yeah. And I can speak from experience. I've purchased some of your artwork over the uh, over the years and it's it's top notch I, I I don't think anybody does it any better than what you do and oh, you thanks, uh, well, are a you huge so asset to the community you know these uh, these these games are getting really old they what's on the artwork that's on them is not not in great shape so it's nice to be able to put something so beautiful yes. on the machine it's it, fantastic work it's, it's really nice because I'm like um, because the reason we call ourselves this old game is because we are the this old house of the gaming community. We make we we bring it back to life 
towards former glory, you know, kind of thing. We don't put heated tiles in, but, you know, maybe we, <laughs> our missile command, you know, new thing will, will. Excellent. Once entertain. again, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And we are back, and I have to give a big thank you to Rich and Kendra from This Old Game for taking the time to talk to us at the Southern Fried Game Room Expo. And now I guess it's uh, back to back to reality, back to the back to the show, right? Back to us, because it's all about us. <laughs> but before we go on to the next segment, you told me. Oh yeah, it's all about me. It's all about you right now. Tell me what you're going to be doing <laughs> a few weeks from now. So yeah, so uh, that is not arcade related in any way, shape, or form. Not, not. But you know what? It could be because it's kind of a tour. So <laughs> coming up, I believe August twenty. 25- First, 2017, there is going to be a total solar eclipse. It's going to cut across the United States where uh, uh, the the event duration of totality is going to be somewhere in, in the neighborhood roughly of two and a half minutes. Anywhere along the path of totality it starts off in Oregon and cuts across uh, Nebraska and uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, and I think a touch of Georgia. Um, so I'm going to be free floating across the, the, the Eastern half of the United States just because I, I have no idea where the cloud cover is going to be. And I would hate to book a flight somewhere and then have it be all cloudy and couldn't see what I was. So it's going to be kind of a last minute decision as to where you go. Last minute decision. I could either head for the Carolinas or I could head for Nebraska, um, pick one but so i'm gonna i'm gonna start start some kind of a a a tour and then finish off um you know just kind of cross-country driving exploring city from city so so i'll be looking for games out there to play so if anybody has any uh um, leads on where i can go play pinball or some interesting arcades to stop at in that part of the country go ahead and send them in via email yes what's that email address eric arcade Oh, pod, I'm sorry. Whoa. Oh. Whoa. Back up. Back up. Podcast <laughs> at ArcadeRepairTips.com. I still can't remember that address. <laughs> well, I usually I usually have it written down here. <laughs> but I'm old, so, you know. We're hey. both old, Chris. We're both old. <laughs> I guess right. it is time to jump into the next segment, which is our Tech Talk segment. And this time... You're going to be taking over and talking about logic games. You mean right? it's about me again? It's all about you. Uh, it's at all least about for the next me. few no. minutes. Okay, all right. So, um, so yes, among the list of of the many topics that we're going to be covering in this show and future shows, uh, what's up next are logic gates. What are they? What do they do? Um, when you're repairing your games and you're looking at schematics, you may actually see these little symbols that connect all the the big chips together. So everybody, well, I can't say everybody. So we'll talk about some of these other components in, in future uh, podcasts. I believe we've already covered things like RAM chips and things like that. So uh, usually those are drawn on the schematics as boxes and then many lines are connected to them. But sometimes um, like for the, for the logic that decides what selects the chips, those are built out of logic apes. As a matter of fact, even the microprocessor, even though you don't see it in the schematic, everything in a microprocessor is built 
out of logic gates. Everything digital. Everything digital. If you is break it down to gates. its lowest level components. Right. Logic gates. Right. Exactly. So what are they and what do they do? And so I was going to cover um, um, that, as I said before, they're, they're essentially, they're, they're considered the glue of the game. So you have your microprocessor and you have your EEPROM and you have your RAM and you have video circuits and everything else. The logic gates help connect all of these different components together in a way that makes sense to the microprocessor so that everybody isn't talking all at once. Um, there are different kinds of logic gates. Um, I'll name I'll name some of them off. You don't have to know what they mean right off the bat. There's like AND gates, OR gates. There's inverters. There's exclusive OR gates. Um, uh, the the basic logic components um, of seventy four hundred series chips. Um, also included in the four thousand series. Uh, CMOS, there's other uh, 74LS mm -hmm. series chips, things like that. Um, it's hard for me to describe what I'm talking about if you can't see a visual. So if you can get to a computer, highly recommend actually Wikipedia, and you put in the search term and gate. Or you, go, you can also put in or gate. Or you can also put in X or gate. And you can actually see... Uh, an, a schematic symbol for it, and you should be able to recognize these schematic symbols. They're they're pretty universal across uh, a lot of these games, especially in the '80s where they used many of them. Um, you'll also notice in those Wikipedia pages, there's actually multiple schematic symbols for them. Uh, there's there's a new standard, I believe, where it just looks like a box, so it's kind of meaningless uh, when you're reading it. Uh, but most of the schematics that you'll see that are game-related actually use the ANSI, ANSI symbol, ANSI, American mm -hmm. National Standards Institute symbol. Um, so so um, I was going to talk a little bit about, uh, I mentioned before that there are, these logic chips um, are implemented in 7400 series uh, chips. So, for example, uh, AND gates, uh, which is a 7400 chip, you can also have uh, implemented in 74LS00, same chip. The LS, L, H, uh, C, different kinds of things describe differences of how those chips are constructed on a silicon level. So, right. So, you're going to have like a 74 letter letter or seven four letter and then more digits two digits three digits after that and sometimes right. you want to have each, it may just say seven four zero zero yep exactly and that's that's what they call the family of the logic chip exactly perfect thank you for bringing that out that's that's exactly correct um there's many other family types i believe there's as and als and and F, F and fast. <laughs> so there's fast. There's uh, <laughs> the uh, the L is low power. The uh, S is for shot, shot key. key. Um, uh, you know, C is for CMOS. Right. HC for uh, high, high speed, speed CMOS. CMOS. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different variants on them, and while they while they perform the same logic function. Um, 
their capabilities change depending on what family type they come from. Uh, for example, um, there's a, there is a specification called fan out, which means um, for any given... I'm wondering if I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. When I talk about for a, a logic gate is, is a couple of inputs, is two or more inputs, but there's an output, an end result that's calculated. And the fan out is how many other inputs can you drive with your single output? It's almost like how strong is your output? How strong is the output? Exactly. So if you have a very strong, let's talk audio amplifiers. If you have a really strong audio amplifier, you can drive many speakers. If you have a lower power audio amplifier, you can drive a fewer speakers. So back to the the types you, you mentioned at the beginning, AND gates, OR gates, NOR gates, inverters, buffers, all of this. Um, tell me a little bit about what those what what the functions are of the various types. Right. So right off the bat, you can you can make the logical leap that an AND gate means that if you have two inputs and both of them are logically true, uh, usually that means there's five volts on an input is true and zero volts on an input is false. Uh, if both inputs are true, so input one and input true two are true, then the output will be true. And that's an AND gate. And in, in digital, when we're talking digital, we only have two states. Two states. Well, we, there kind of is a third, but we won't talk about that just yet. <laughs> uh, so you have zero and one, which mm-hmm. is the same thing as no voltage and voltage. Mm-hmm. Same thing as as, uh, uh, as so voltage and no voltage. So voltage is true. No voltage, false. Right, and when we're talking about the on arcade machines, most everything are, is is going to be the seventy four hundred series, uh, which is always yes. we're always talking about five volts. Yes, when we're on these, uh, and the alternative to this is uh, CMOS, CMOS, which does exist in the arcade world, but not it's not as prevalent as the TTL chips, the uh, seventy four hundred series uh, chips. So we're talking right. about either we have five volts. Or we don't don't. have 5 volts, which when we don't, that's the same thing as saying is we're at at ground. Sort of. Sort of. We're not going to talk about the third We won't get there, though, so let's just keep the two states in mind. So, so again, AND chip is input 1 is equal 1, and input 2 equals 1, and then that'll make the output turn into 1. If either one of those inputs are 0, then the output will be 0, whereas... The OR chip means that either input 1 can be high or input 2 can be high for the output to be high. And then um, I think I also talked about NOT chips, right? Which is also Inverters. known as an inverter. Right? Inverter, uh, where if the input is 1, then the output will be 0. Or, or the input true, the output will be false. Uh, the, the inverse is true for that. And from basically, you can say from these three types of logic gates, you can build anything you want from there. You can, and but and so and so almost like trigonometry. Even though it's not as hard as trigonometry, for those three types of of uh, logic gates, the and, the or, and the not. There's the inverse of that, meaning there's a NAND gate. And you'll actually hear about NAND memory chips out there. It's kind of the same 
sort of function, where it's an AND gate, except it inverts the output. So the output is true if both inputs are not true. The minute they become true, it sort of it, it sort of inverts the output. Um, same thing for the OR. It would be a NOR. Or you could just have a buffer where what you feed into it um, comes out at the same logic level. But again, because of fan out, you would use a buffer to drive something that requires more current. Right, right. And once again, I'm kind of making the same point here. I mean, your highest level, your Pentium processor in your computer is, when you break it down, it's really just using these logic gates. No matter how advanced you go, this is the build, these are the building blocks. These are the of building blocks. All digital circuitry. Yes. It moves, it moves you away from thinking about the circuitry in terms of being transistors into, into logical equations. Um, and meaning logical, meaning logical, logic states. So there's one other kind of uh, a gate out there that's kind of interesting. It's the XOR, the exclusive OR. Where remember before I said with the OR gate, you could have one input or the other be true, or both of them could be true for the output to be true. Exclusive OR says, no, you can only have one input or the other be true, but not both. And then it'll, it'll kind of and, filter you know, that out. Chris, the way I've, you know, the way I remember this, uh, that type of gate is if they're the same, if the two inputs are the same, you'll have, you know, one output. And yes. if they're different, it'll be the opposite. So if they're the same, it'll be a true, correct? Or So if or they're the same, backwards? it will be, well, so there's, there's a little catch to that giddy up there. So, so you're thinking about if one or the other or both are true. So if one is true, then the output's true. If the other one is true, then the output's true. If both of them are true, the output will be false. But the output's also going to be false if both are false. Right. So, so once again, if they're the same, whatever, whether the input is, uh, if it's if if one is true or 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 uh, a one or a uh, plus five volts, if both are if they're both inputs are the same, the output will be. Only if they're plus five volts. Because you're saying if both inputs are the same. So if both inputs Sorry. are also zero, then it's still going to be... Right, 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 right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I guess that's, I guess that's right. Well, yeah. See, logic is hard, which is why... <laughs> okay, so Which now is let's... why when you go off and you look at a particular chip's um, uh, data sheet, like if you were to look up oh, 7400 truth, data oh, sheet, you're looking at truth table. tables. Yes. <laughs> so that'll help you figure out, okay based on the number of inputs you have here, what am I going to have for my expected output? And that's very important because sometimes, sometimes as you get into the more advanced chips, certainly like counters, things like that, you're going to actually find that there are uh, don't care right. bits okay. in the let's, let's Okay, so we, we've gone pretty deep with this. Let's, <laughs> we, get, let's we, get back to the world of repairing arcade games and how this is going to translate to repairing games, what what they're used for in a uh, an older game, like you're you're going to see these types of chips um, used. Well, real, I mean they they use them for many years, even into the 90s. Um, 
But the older games, the older the game is, the more they're going to have these little uh, these, these little TTL gates. Yeah, just you and know, actually, one chip that may have three, four gates on it. Mm-hmm. And, you can, and if you want to go back even further, Pong doesn't have a all, microprocessor at all. All TTL it's chips. It's built all the video Strictly circuitry. logic. Everything is built out of TTL chips. Now, what we're going to see these chips used for in your older arcade games is, um, you know, among other things, it's going to help direct the data and address path through the machine. It's it's mm-hmm. very instrumental mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that. And you know, there's you can take your your logic probe and see if you have activity. You can uh, uh, you can take a. a you can pop the chip out and test it in a, a tester. But if you really understand what's going on with the chip, that's, you know, that's much going to be much more helpful than, than kind of shotgunning it or, or uh, uh, trying to uh, figure out what, you know, as far as what components gone bad, what to replace. If you understand what's going on at the lowest level, it's very helpful in determining where the problem is. Uh, it can be. I feel. I find I've got like a fifty-fifty shot at that. So, <laughs> so for example, let's say you have an AND gate, and the two inputs are connected to some address lines, and you see that there's activity on those address lines, yet there's no output on the output of that gate that it's not toggling back and forth. Is it a failed gate? Not necessarily. Unfortunately, there, there is no way without actually having a logic analyzer where you can actually look at both inputs at the same time to see if they're both going high at the same time that would affect the output change. So those two address lines could be toggling completely independently of each other and never make that, that gate trigger. Um, but it's a good way to go back of saying, hey... I know this output should be toggling. It's never toggling, and there's inputs. Eh, let's go ahead and replace the chip. Right, and this does this does get a little bit deeper than uh, you know. You have to we maybe maybe in the future we can talk about uh, the high impedance state of an output. Uh, I think we already have. We we covered that in the RAM section. So feel free to roll back to those other sections a little bit where a high impedance just kind of removes its output from, from a bus. Um, but yeah, for, for, for logic gates, typically you're not going to find a high impedance state on a logic gate. Right. You know, like for like a you mentioned earlier, a seventy four hundred uh, AND gate or seventy four oh eight inverter. I hope I'm getting my numbers right. I'm not looking 7407 at seven four oh seven and fourteen. I believe are inverters. Yeah, seventy four oh eight is a quad inverter. Is, I believe. Okay, so okay. Yeah, let, anyway. let, uh, you know, I guess I should stick with my point here. Is if once you understand what the gate is supposed to do, and you have your logic probe. You, you you'll know what to look for if you see activity on the input side of it and you don't see any on the output side of it you can suspect you can suspect, suspect that there's a problem with that particular yes. chip yeah that or the chips that are driving it it might actually fake your logic probe out and think that it's driving that gate with enough current but it actually isn't Right, it, it goes both ways. So this, so troubleshooting logic gates like that, it requires a little, a little kind of. It's fuzzy. Okay, and Chris, I want to go back to something you you spoke 
uh, about the families of the logic chips. Yes. Uh, the LS, the HC, the F, the uh, no, uh, you know, if there's no uh, letter on it. When you're when you are replacing a logic chip on a board, like a TTL seventy four hundred series logic chip, it's pretty important that you go back with the same type of family. They have what they call uh, uh, voltage thresholds on the logic chips, and it's re- it, you know what. However, they engineered the board is how you want to. Uh, that's the type of chip you want to put back in its place. Yes. Uh, it can... For know. many reasons. Uh, just the voltage threshold, but remember we were talking about fan out a little while ago. So a good example that I pulled up was that the fan out for the regular 7400 chip, meaning you have an AND gate, its output can now drive 10 other 7400 series chips. But when you move to 74LS, that fan out increases to 20. So if you were to if you if you had a, an LS chip and you were uh, replacing it with a, a a non LS chip and there happened to be more inputs that you were supposed to be driving in the circuit that seventy four hundred series chip may just ultimately fail to be able to drive the circuit. Right, right. Even though it's doing just what it's supposed to be doing, yes. it just doesn't have enough oomph to uh, to handle uh, exactly right. everything down the, down the line from it. Exactly right. Excellent. Well, that is some very informative so, talk yeah. about logic gates. It's, it's a little confusing. It, I'm, if your head's spinning right now, trust me, go out to Wikipedia, look up, as I said, AND gate or gate. And there's a lot of um, good animation. I think even on Wikipedia, I think I've looked stuff, uh, and they'll have animation of, you know, Going through the, uh, the the inputs and seeing what the outputs will be and exactly look at, look at the truth tables. Lot, there's a lot of good information out there, but and so I guess my point is when you're looking at these schematics, they look like very small little just you know buggy things, but there really is a lot of um, functionality behind it. And you know, as as you repair games. It's easy to go online and say, hey, I have this board and I have this problem with it. What should I do? What should I do? Somebody has already had that problem. You say, okay, they, they replaced this component and it fixed it. And that works. You know, some, some, oftentimes that works. But if you have a better understanding of the, the root of how these games work, the, the more you understand about how they work on the lowest level like this, mm-hmm. the easier it's going to be to repair it. Yes, yes. Well, yes. And it's and it can also be kind of a fascinating um, mental puzzle to understand. Oh, it's so, fun, yes. So my first, again, I always bring this up, my first schematic reading experience for video games was Sega's Astro Blaster. And so if you were to download that, that manual online and look at the schematic for the CPU board, you'll see that there's coin inputs where they have two AND gates, and it looks like they cross-connect an input and the output and the output works, you know, uh, it, and I looked at that for so long and went, well, God, why would they draw it like that? That's bizarre until you figure out that it actually functions as a latch. So they use two AND gates to form a latch. So uh, it, these little gates, they, they, they're very, very simple, but the minute you add two of them or three of them together, now you've got a very advanced function. Yeah, I guess in the future we can talk about flip-flops and Flip- counters and yes. decoders and multiplexers. Oh, and, yeah. Oh. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> okay, Chris, I think it is time to go to the 
questions. Awesome. Yes, after after the much confusing talk, <laughs> uh, let's let's go on to the even Time deeper to decompress topical and stuff. go to the simple questions. The simple stuff like repair. <laughs> All, <laughs> All right. right. Okay, I guess I'll read the first one. The first uh, question is from Simon. Hi, I have a Miss Pac-Man cocktail cabinet that was originally imported from the USA to the UK. The standard cabinet had two transformers in the bottom, but after being converted to UK voltage, now has four. Hmm. I think I may have a problem with the power side, and as I have a brand new switching power supply, it would be much easier to remove the four transformers to connect up the switching power supply. Is this easy to do? I have some electrical knowledge, but these diagrams leave me confused. Is there an easy way to follow a wiring diagram that you might have? Uh, okay, okay, all right. Let's hmm. let's get hmm. to the the guts of this question. He has a Miss Pac-Man cocktail that went made it made the trip overseas to the UK. Cheerio, pip pip. <laughs> and they somebody there changed to to change it over from 120 volts to uh, 240 volts. Added two additional transformers, which to confuses it. me. Which you know, as you and I spoke before. Recording, they didn't have to go through quite that much trouble because the uh, well. First of all, let's talk about two transformers. As yeah. as it's uh, shipped from the factory, yes, it had two transformers in it. One of them is the isolation transform transformer for the monitor, correct? Which is just a one to one winding. You have 120 volts in mm-hmm. and 120 volts out. Yep, just to electrically isolate the monitor from the mains uh, supply. Exactly. And then you have the power supply for the game itself, which takes 120 volts and knocks it down to like 12 7.5 volts and 12 volts. Uh, the, the voltages required by the PC board to, to work, right? right? Correct. And that particular transformer, the transformer that uh, knocks down the voltage for the game board has uh, what they call taps on the primary side, right? So, Correct. So when you get it to another country that uses 240 volts, what they could have done, or more to the point, should have done, is just change the input taps. And you'll see this on video games, right. pinball machines. You can change the input voltage on the transformer uh, without doing what they did without adding this additional transformer to knock the voltage down, right? Right, correct. That's hence my confusion. Right. What's Why the did they do that to the and <laughs> and you know, once again, Chris, we talked about this. I have a feeling whoever got the game first back in the 80s in the UK probably they may not have had the knowledge of how to change the input taps on it, so they just well, I know how to uh I know how to change the voltage from 100 uh, from 240 down to 120. I just need to add this transformer in that will take care of it, right? You would well, you would think and then we would still be at three transformers. Three, uh, yeah, just one for the input. So we don't really know how it got so from as to four. As they would say in the UK, what is this fourth bloody transformer? <laughs> Uh, so, so it's kind of a mystery why it's there. So I'm I'm reluctant to give advice given that we're talking about 120 or 220 volts here, except for the fact of keeping in mind that one of those transformers is used as an isolation transformer, and you can't get rid of it. Right. And we're also, Chris, we're also making an assumption that this person who uh, that uh, Simon is in the U.S. or in a country 
that is 120 volts. Because if he was in a country that was 240 volts, he probably would just be leaving it alone. Possibly, but his question goes more to the core of, can I just remove all four transformers and replace it with the switching power supply? So let's focus on that. So big mystery as to whether or not he's in the UK or the US. And we can answer the question either way. We can. Definitely. Okay. So, and Chris, you mentioned that you have to have, as long as you keep that CRT monitor in the game, you have to have the isolation transformer. Right. If it's the original monitor that right. came with we're, the We're not going to talk about newer monitors that don't require an isolation transformer. We're going to make an assumption that it's the original monitor that came right. to the game. Right. So, um, looking at the schematic, as, as Eric had mentioned, that there was... Uh, originally shipped a one-to-one transformer in there, which means 120 volts in, 120 volts out. Now, if you take that over to the UK and you apply 220 volts, it's going to do several things. One, you're going to get 220 volts out of the secondary and or you are probably going to fry the transformer at some point. So that's that may be the other transformer um, that's there. So the the UK transformer would actually be a two-to-one transformer where you would have um, 220 going in, 120 going out, or 240 going in, 120 coming out. Right. Um, But the game game transformer can be replaced, and I believe you were mentioning something about a conversion kit that's available out there. Now, before we start talking about the... The, the power the switch mode power supply that he wants to put in it the isolation transformer we need to perhaps talk briefly about how to identify which is which hmm, good point and the isolation transformer they're they're easy to uh, identify because basically it's a four it's four terminals oh yes uh, right. and oftentimes they're actually on the same side a lot of times your other your transformers that drop voltage down the primary side or the input side is on one physical side of the transformer and the output or secondary side is on the other side of the transformer however isolation transformers oftentimes both both um, hmm. input and output will be on the same side not always but your own the, the key thing is you're only going to have four terminals Right. Okay, only four terminals. If you have more than that, it's 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 a you know different type of transformer. So uh, and usually they are marked uh, primary, secondary, or input and output on it. All uh, right. So once again, just as as Chris said, you have to have a, an isolation transformer for your monitor. And if this is going to be used in a uh, area where you have a hundred and uh, I'm sorry. If you have 240 volt as your uh, your voltage, your AC voltage, you're going to have to have an isolation transformer that can convert that down to 120 volts for the uh, U.S. made monitor CRT monitors, right? Exactly. Okay, so Chris, why don't you take over talking about the switch mode power supplies? Okay, so there, I guess there are different flavors of switch mode power supply. Some of them only take in 120 volts. Some of them are auto switching. Some of them are configurable with a jumper where you can uh, either select 120 volts in or 240 volts in. Um, but they're all going to put out you know, roughly 5 volts DC, 12 volts DC, just standard arcade switch mode power supply. Um, and I believe they do sell adapter kits that let you 
connect a Pac-Man slash Miss Pac-Man board to those um, switch mode power supplies. There's a slight difference in how a Pac-Man Miss Pac-Man board set works for its voltage input compared to regular board sets where regular board sets just expect you to feed in five volts and everything's hunky dory. Right. Right. Um, these, these power inputs on, on these boards, uh, go through diodes and it's expecting, you know, seven volts and then the regulators on the game board and all that other good stuff. Um, now Eric, you point out that the Miss Pac-Man boards have an input pin that's directly five volts. Right. If you look at this and, and incidentally, Miss Pac-Man and Pac-Man are the uh, same game board. Uh, but if you look at the edge connector, the way they, there are companies that make, uh, uh, you can find a, an adapter to connect a, um, a switch mode power supply to a Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man game. They'll, it'll be pre-wired for you. And there's a, pin actually where i'm looking at the schematic it's pin 18 on the edge connector that is the five volt um power rail that's after all the rectification and uh regulation of the game board so okay so let me let me let me try to explain this a little (laughs) bit better a lot just as chris said a lot of game boards you take dc input and you know every you know it's all the regulation uh, the rectification and regulation is done on some type of power supply board mm-hmm. on the game. Mm-hmm. Pac-Man is not like that. Pac-Man takes AC power straight from the transformer right onto the game board, and all that is done. All the regula- rectification and regulation, meaning all the conversion from AC to DC, is done on the game board. So you have to, if you're going to use a switch mode power supply, you kind of have to circumvent that whole process but luckily there is a five volt there's a uh, a point on the uh there's a spot on the edge connector where you can uh, you know attach that the five volts to it specifically once again uh uh, position number 18 for it but you don't have to i mean you can bust out the schematic you can look you can count down 18 positions you can do all this yourself but you can also buy the Mm-hmm. Uh, the connector already. I think there you. are other people who have also just connected uh, you know, the the plus five volt supply up to where the AC power goes in, mm-hmm. and they'll crank the voltage up. Right, to, because you have to you have a, uh, a voltage drop voltage on for the drop. diode. Right. Um, unfortunately, there's also some voltage drop through the regulator, so uh, you really have to crank. Yeah, that up I'm not quite a big. A I'm not a big fan of um, that. It's it it works, and once you have it working properly, it's probably going to work it, forever. Yeah, it Ugh. works. It works, but it's if you think about how the how the diodes are situated, you're really running DC power through one diode, and those diodes are expecting to distribute the power at a 50% duty cycle right. and, um, across it. So you're going to find one diode is going to get pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's, it's not the best way to do it. If you can use the bypass pin, all the better. Right. Right. And, you know, there's, there's several ways to skin this cat, but if you, can just, if you can look at the schematic and you, if you can bypass the regulation part of the board and go straight into it, even if you decide to put your own connector onto the game, if you if you're if you're going to um, you know solder in straight to the board, and um, you know use your own uh, uh, power connector, not not the edge connector, that's good as well. But uh, if you 
but anyway, it's it's an easy thing to do. You can uh, just jump past all the regulation on the board, go straight into the five volt rail with your switch mode power supply, and uh, you're good. You're going actually. You're going to use there's a uh, there's a twelve volt um, uh, tap on it and a five volt tap on it. That's it. You connect it to that. You're done. But once again, right. you can buy you can buy the adapter. You don't have to do all the things we're talking about right. doing. Right. Exactamundo. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's move on to our next question. And it looks like we've got a set of questions. Uh, we've got one from uh, Setasan119. We've also got one from Jim, and it looks like they're pretty much doing uh, asking the same question. Uh, what can happen if I don't connect the ground to a button? Will it hurt my game if I do it wrong or break it somewhere? Cheers. That was from Setasan. And then Jim asks a uh, quick question about connecting ground wires on a control panel. Uh, can you skip over one or two of the grounds in a chain and pick up at a later point with the sequence, or will it cause an issue? Thank you. So let's talk about, I guess, grounds in general and grounds on a control panel. Um, and what, obviously what there, there's going to be a few exceptions to the, what we're describing, but for the most part, any older arcade machine is going to be kind of set up the same way, where all of your control panel buttons will have, uh, just as one of the uh, questions mentioned, it, it, it the ground is daisy-chained from one switch input to the next, 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 and it connects all of them. So essentially what you're doing for the switch inputs, the button inputs, is your gr- when you push the button, it's, it grounds that input. It has, you know, just to go a little bit deeper, they have a uh, pull-up resistor on the board, and when you hit that button, it pulls that input on the the logic input on the game board to ground. Logic? Does it go into logic? Wow, we, it's like we should rewind and <laughs> learn about logic. Five gates. volts and zero volts. What? <laughs> So the first question was, uh, what can happen if I don't connect a ground to a button? Well, the the short answer is it's just not going to work. You know, you're not going to do any damage though. Right. No, right. no damage. No damage on it, but it's just not going to work. The, the the input to the game board has to see a ground to activate. Right. Correct. And then Jim asked about skipping. Uh, you know, they're da- the, all the grounds are daisy chained from you know from button to button to button to button. Um, what happens if you leapfrog or kind of I guess you could say rearrange? As long as <laughs> each button has you know one terminal of it is to ground, regardless of how you get it there, which which end you start on, if you skip around, as long as one of them is to ground you're you're okay you can and you can take your meter and put put it on continuity and just check that you know one one side of it is to ground it doesn't matter what order you go in yeah for for digital uh signals that's very true for analog there's caveats to that and we won't go there because that gets some into some deep um um concepts like ground loops and things like that and and the longest and shortest path to ground and all that other good stuff but for a simple control panel something like that order doesn't really matter as long as you actually tie one side of the switch to a ground right okay let's jump on to the next one the next one is from daryl hi my big buck hunter sportsman paradise game has washed out colors i can adjust the colors separately but they don't blend together 
the focus works and all of the other adjustments work, such as a vertical, horizontal, etc. cetera. Uh, and he had someone look at, look at it, but to no avail. Uh, now I should have someone, uh, should I have someone come over and rejuvenate my tube or something else? So big buck hunter washed out colors and, mm. um, sounds clean. <laughs> Stop using bleach on your monitor, Daryl. Uh, <laughs> A boo. Mmm, <laughs> my monitor smells April fresh. <laughs> oh, Chris, you do go on. <laughs> Too much sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, so he has hmm. the, the focus works, but he, he mentions it as a um, the, the colors don't blend together, and it's kind of a little hard to get a visual of what he's talking about. Incidentally, if you... Send something like this in. Um, it's always helpful to have a uh, a picture, uh, a screenshot of uh, what you're looking at, so we can kind of decipher it a little more. Yeah. Um, but he asks, should someone uh, rejuvenate my tube or or something else? So, what well, what do you think about it? Well, I you know I I've seen stuff like this before on monitors that are just kind of um, they're they're at the end of their. <laughs> They're as 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 repaired state life. Um, that doesn't mean that they can't be brought back from the dead with some replacement components. Um, I I usually see something like this where the emissions for the monitor has gotten so weak that they've turned up the screen grid all the way, mm-hmm. and and so yeah, the focus is there, but you're probably adjusting it like way at the edge of where you know it's it's so not let- really there. But it looks it ends up looking washed out because everything is being so overdriven, and so I would suggest um, quite possibly that this is due to possibly weak high voltage. So if you wanted to replace the flyback, but before you even do that, make sure that your B plus is where it's supposed to be because a flyback depends so much on what that voltage level of B plus is in order to produce the correct. And that, that's just when you're working on a monitor. That's one of the first things you're going to do in the in the flow of the troubleshooting flow of the monitor. You want to check your B plus voltage and uh, make sure that's correct. Now he uh, Daryl mentions something. Uh, he he mentions that he won't would like to know whether or not he should rejuvenate his monitor. So let's talk briefly about what that means. You know to- I'm going to let you talk about that <laughs> because you've got the rejuvenator and actually, and I, frankly, I don't have any real experience with rejuvenating. I just know it's well, <laughs> not the first go to years ago. I picked up a CRT rejuvenator. Incidentally, if you pick one of these things up there, nobody makes a CRT rejuvenator or, or has made one in the past 20 years. If you pick one up, it's going to be an old um, BK Precision. What's the other company? Is it WaveTech? I, I can't remember what the other company was. But yeah. the point of it is that this was made back in the days when people, when you still had TV repairmen. And this device was meant, among other things, to if you ha- if you had a tube that was the colors were re- you know the screen wasn't as bright as it should be it, the it would attempt to bring a little bit of life back into it and it does actually I'm not even going to say how it does it I uh, it, it uses uh, it over uh, runs the heater in the element up in it really high tries to in burn a- off some- in effect it burns off the cathodes and makes them it cleans them it removes the impurities right. from them so that they can emit 
more so efficiently. I picked up one of these things many, many years ago. Oh, this is, you know, I'm going to get one of these things. I'm going to, you know, all these tubes with low emissions. I'm, I can fix these things and everything. You know, I'm going to be able to save these things. But here's, here's the reality of it. If it's gotten to the point where the emissions, uh, the color emissions are low, you're you're taking something that you know a tube that's really ready for the trash, and you're squeezing a, just a you know another few hundred hours out of the tube. Now you you might get some people that would say no no it's it it does a great job, it it works they work, but they're it's not a long term solution. It's right. it's you're just putting a band aid on a uh, on a more serious problem. Um. So I'm not a big fan, even though I have one of these tube rejuvenators. Honestly, I use it now more to uh, to check to see if a tube is good than I do to rejuvenate a a mm. tube. It's it's I've had mixed results with it. Some some tubes are some CRT tubes are too far gone to rejuvenate, and the ones that you can rejuvenate, they usually don't last much longer. So to reveal things like the the guns being the shorts yeah you, you get like grid kind of shorts on it uh, uh so so you actually in effect have a little miniature radio shack tube testing facility yes in your, yes in your toolbox. <laughs> awesome <laughs> so in, in, anyway the bottom line is i don't really personally i don't recommend the rejuvenation process uh what was this big buck uh you know if if it gets to the point where the emissions are just that low just look uh, start uh looking for a replacement uh, an entire assembly yeah uh, there's new, there's monitors new. that are out there that can be had that might have less burn things like that but yeah i as i understand for a picture tube rejuvenator it's it's like last ditch effort right and and there's a 50/50 chance that you're probably going to burn the tube out right. 50/50 is it, it that, does it will, it will tell you in the instructions of your tube rejuvenator that you know, you may you may destroy the, the tube. You may burn out the heater. You may uh, anyway. Yeah. we're we're still in a good position. We're in a we're in a time where you can still get these monitors. There's going to be ten years from now, fifteen years from now, you may have a hard time sourcing monitors. But right now, you can you can still get them. Yeah, hopefully. Well, ten years from now, hopefully, we'll have curved LCD. Displays that look just like the old tubes. I don't know I don't, why, but we. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they would make them, but whatever. <laughs> it's possible. Anything's possible. <laughs> All right. Our next question is from Michael. Okay. Coin mechs aren't my thing. Whose thing are they? Exactly. I hate Do you know an aficionado? Man, I butchered that word. Of coin mechs? I have 87 coin mechs. <laughs> And I adjust them all daily. Nightly. I, I Nightly. take them out, clean them, adjust them. So, just kidding, Michael. So I hate the constant adjusting and jamming. Well, maybe he's like that. I don't know. Michael, is there a thing? Anyway, so I know several people recommended the MNX brand. Uh, will they fit? In all classic arcades from 1979 to 1987, the mechs are either missing or broken on the following game I own. And yeah, you mentioned Centipede and Galaxy and Double Dragon, Crystal Castles, uh, Stargate and Frogger. And hey, I like that lineup. Yeah, I do uh, too. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Crystal Castles. I would no love, one likes that game. I would love a Crystal love Castles in my house. I would love a Crystal Castles that was reconstructed with 
plywood and not particle board. Mm. But, uh, but I wish. I continue to wish. Uh, will the MNX 25 cent coin mix work on these? Thanks. And yeah. So, so I did a search of. I was not familiar with this. Uh, with the MNX brand only because I've, you know, all these years of acquiring arcade machines, I have a box or a container full of coin mix just only because I don't use them. I, when I get the, get these games, I set them on free play, but you know, a lot of people do like to have them accepting coins, uh, quarters, tokens, or, you know, whatever. So kind of have the, uh, atmosphere of a, of a real arcade when they have them at their house. Um, so if I have a bad coin mech, I've got, you know, plenty to, uh, plenty to, to pick from. I can just go grab one out of the, <laughs> out of the box, hmm. but let's, uh, let's say you don't have any, you don't have easy access to them. Um, looking at their website, they have, uh, they actually make brand new versions of these, um, you know, back, back when these coin mechs were it was back in the, 80s when you'd have these coin mechs in the games you had the uh the plastic ones and the metal ones i think the mm-hmm. metal were they brass metal ones or a combination of brass and other metals there 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 are many components to the coin <laughs> mechs that i i would like to actually get into a little bit because there's a, a comment here uh but anyway as far as the the new brand this new brand of uh imanex um the v9 version with out the lockout is the equivalent to the ones that were made 30 years ago that have the uh you can still have you still have the mechanical lockout that would have come you know been part of the uh coin door of the game so you still it would it would be a direct fit for it yeah um same form factor four little pins on the side that kind of like snap in kind of hinge it in you put Mm -hmm. it in you know and uh, at the bottom and just hinge it in snap it in at the uh top but it'll that would be a uh direct replacement then that would should work fine for you yeah so a question i have is he mentions that he's got constant adjusting and i'm wondering so coin mechs they're they're an interesting thing and if you don't know how they work uh, they're probably a little bit of a mystery. So these mechanical coin mechs, uh, you'll notice the first thing on the coin input uh, slot that there's this little kind of rotating thing um, that turns about 90 degrees when a quarter goes in. And that serves a couple of, of, of functions. Um, usually there's like two pins. And so it's going to let anything fall through that isn't large enough to rest within the cradle. And as the cradle turns 90 degrees, it actually limit so if somebody slams a coin in it's going to hold on to it and then introduce it into the coin mech at a given velocity okay and then it's going to run the coin past what's called a magnet gate and right. i think that is something that is it looks like a big square and it's going to have a, a or, or a big block um, whether it's plastic or metal and it'll have a single adjustment screw so you can adjust the gap or, or how wide the gap is that the coin is passing through between the block and the back plate of that mech. And um, that also serves two purposes. Is that That's measuring the thickness of the coin that's going through. But it's also measuring, because of the magnet, it's measuring the uh, metallurgy, the, 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 the blend of metals that are either attracted to magnets and, and against the metals that are in the metallurgy that are not. So the magnet actually slows it down a certain percentage depending on uh, 
the um, metal makeup of the coin. And if it slows it down too much, then it stops just short of its target and it falls through the coin return. If it doesn't slow it down at all, it overshoots the coin slot that it's looking for and it falls into the coin return. So it's kind of, it's measuring uh, along with that, that velocity. It's also uh, measuring the weight of the coin. There's a lot of factors that go in a very simple mechanism that just kind of tests whether or not a genuine coin is passing through. So I think there's only two adjustments on these, right? It's the gate width and you can you tend to actually make that slightly larger than the width of the coin that you're measuring um so once that's set there shouldn't be a need to adjust it and then there's also um the gate width for the target gate that you can you can adjust and once these are adjusted they shouldn't need a whole bunch of adjustment so i'm starting to wonder if he's having to constantly adjust it magnets do have a finite life cycle um they're 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 magnetized by a strong current during manufacture. Um, I've actually seen the old magnetos from the, the old crank telephones. A lot of times those horseshoe magnets that are used to manufacture those, they don't have any magnetism left them at all. You have to send them off to have them remagnetized. So I'm wondering if they're starting to uh, that's fail a, that that's way. That's an interesting... Hmm. Uh, pure well, speculation. So because hmm. <laughs> we like talking about not fact here you know you you mentioned you mentioned the magnet i, I remember <laughs> many years ago that people would take the little knockout slugs out of a electrical receptacle yes. box yeah same Very size close. as a quarter Very or close. almost the same size but different characteristic as far as the you know the the metal makeup of it they'll so. stick to that gate right <laughs> so that's when the coin return lever comes into play and there's actually a little wiper that wipes across that magnet in case the coin gets stuck to it and uh who or was this 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 was my michael if you ever want to come to houston i will give you a box of <laughs> coin max awesome <laughs> Okay, our next question is from Kevin. No, I'm sorry, it's not Kevin, it's Kelvin. Oh, how many uh, uh, cold, hot degrees jokes does he get? Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> I was, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to. So what's the question, Eric? Okay, so, sorry, Kelvin. I have a Miss Pac-Man cocktail table. The 7 volts AC part of this transformer is running at 4.3 volts AC on one tap mm. and 5.1 volts AC on the other. Mm. The 12-volt AC taps are running at... Uh, they're they're correct. Mm. I'm thinking about installing a switching power supply, but they have 5 volts, and uh, it, the switching power supply has a 5-volt and 12-volt DC output. Huh. Uh, and this, this kind of goes back to the other... We kind of answered that aspect of the question on the... Uh, uh, the previous uh, previous question, oh, yes. but uh, what we want to talk about is are these voltages coming off the transformer? What he's reading versus what he should be reading, and you had uh, a pretty good uh, way of testing to see. Well, first of all, let's talk about Pac-Man. Pac-Man has uh, AC input to the board, but what we have is a center tap seven seven point five volt. Uh, or actually, I'm sorry, 7-volt AC, but it's a center tap transformer, meaning that the transformer output has three wires on it, or three, three terminals, three terminals mm-hmm. a center tap, which goes to ground, mm-hmm. and two separate 7-volt AC outputs, which you can also 
if you uh, if you know much about AC, you're, they're essentially opposite polarity or opposite phase of uh, the AC signal. But yeah. in reference to the center tap, you should with your meter on AC volts, you should see on each one. You should see seven volts AC right on each end of the thing. If you, so, you're going to be testing them you know, one at a time, it's funny because this was kind of a confusing topic for me when I was first looking at arcade machines uh, because I never I, I knew what a transformer was, I knew what the secondary was, and obviously there was a, a coil of wire there. But what was the center tap business? And so you look at this and it's like, okay, it's seven volt center tap. Well, what that means is on. Um, if you were to look at the schematic and you see that there's this big coil of wire and in the center of it, they've grounded it. If you were to remove that ground connection and put your meter on the very rightmost terminal and then measure that center terminal, you'll see seven volts. And you keep your lead on the, the, the rightmost terminal or the first terminal and go to the opposite end, you're actually going to measure 14 volts. So what they do at the center tap just kind of divides the voltage in half and so you get seven volts out of one right. terminal seven volts out of the other terminal and then it's ground referenced and your and your ground is just kind of an arbitrary point that you did you say is ground you could correct the, you could theoretically put your ground on the the, on the far terminal. left most terminal you exactly. could have seven volts and 14 and exactly it's, it's well i don't i don't mean to be confusing on this but that's also how your house is wired as it, it well very much is. you're you're you have a center tap on your transformer and each each side of the transformer is 120 volts but if you go from one extreme end to the other that's where you get your 240 volts but exactly i'm let's let's not go so that we can, deep we can into come it. back to it yes We'll we'll have another tech topic about that. <laughs> Transformers. We can confuse people. Transformers one oh one. So yeah, so um so in this particular case he's measuring different voltages on the two legs when they should in fact be the same. Right. Um so there's a couple of approaches and, and what I suspect would be true. There's gonna be there's going to be two cases or one case out of two possibilities that are true here one the transformer is bad which is pretty unlikely or two there's something with the game board that's dragging a voltage down right on one leg which is also bad um so in the case of testing for the bad transformer i think that's a pretty easy thing if you were to remove the edge connector from the board and then test where the 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 seven volt AC is on each pin has it now returned to equal values? Are both of them equal values? If they are, then chances are pretty good that the problem is going to be on the game board. Now, if they haven't, that's going to be head scratcher because now we're talking possible transformer issues. And, ju- and Chris, N- just as you said, transformers rarely go bad. Rarely I've- go bad. But is there? a fuse block between the transformer and that edge connector where there's a separate fuse for each of those seven volt lines. And you know, I've got the schematic right here in front of me and actually, you know what, Chris, there is center tap seven. There is a fuse. There's a five amp fuse on each of the seven volt lines. Uh, yes, there is. Interesting. I would actually first go and look at those fuse at the fuse block, the fuse holder, and see if there's some bad connections. And there. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. 
fuse holders on these games. <laughs> on all, I, you know what? Fuse I holders been, like IC sockets. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I'm gonna every. I think every episode I say uh, use the acronym ASAP. I always start at power. You know, mm-hmm. before when you start chasing down problems, you're always gonna check your voltages first. And I still to this day get uh, get caught. I'll, I'll I will have a game that's giving me bad voltages, and I make certain assumptions. But it's just the fuse holder. Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. fuse holder is not making good tight connection to the fuse fuse itself is fine yep but the um the older style uh how would you describe that type of fuse holder where it's just it requires the friction of the the you know it, it just snaps down into it it's very, yes yeah, spring, I, think, I think we spring, all know what i mean it's a spring fuse holder right. fu- spring spring fuse holder clips yeah and those things can go back, and you'll get false yeah. readings. You'll get like half the voltage you think you should see. Right. Uh, so you know that's Chris. That's a very good point. So, check that. Check that fuse and fuse holder. So in this particular case, um, if you were to remove the edge connector from the game board and then measure that, if there were bad fuse holders, you would actually probably not see that voltage drop. You would probably see that seven volts AC is just because fine, and then no go load off on it, and assume because there's no load on it. Mister Ohm and his law <laughs> so, says, <laughs> says so, yes. So, what does he say? <laughs> oh, something about Via voltage per, and, mm-hmm. and current and resistance, and they're related in some way, shape. Or, no, okay. <laughs> there's no I in Ohm's law. Yes, there is. <laughs> um, so, um, so in this particular case. Um, I would reconnect the game board and then you can verify that you've got the two voltages, the, the, the voltage difference on the two seven volt lines at the game board. Now go to the other side of the fuse holder with load. You should see roughly the same voltages going into the fuses, right? But you'll see a voltage difference on the output side of the fuses. Um, in the event, it's not the fuse holder. That's not the transformer, and, um, and and sure enough, every time you connect the game board, that one side just dips below on on both sides of the fuse holder. Um, there's the possibility that you could have a, a a partially shorted diode that's dragging the line down or shorting it out to the other side, or or what have you. And that point, it's it, there's there's not much left after that after right. the diodes, after the fuse holders. And, uh, you know, all that's left is the transformer. But I'm, I'm willing to bet it's either fuse or diodes. Okay, excellent. All right. So our next question is from George. I have a 1980 or 1981 Miss Pac-Man that plays fine with good sound and color. The problem that I have is the screen has multiple spots of th- Flickering, thin, visible. <laughs> Let me start try that, that again. again. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a drink, waiter. Uh, I have a screen that has multiple spots of flickering, thin vertical lines of varying lengths. None are very long, but they all seem to be different colors on different screens. There are also different colors than the images they're a part of. I assume the monitor is the problem. Your thoughts, please. Mm, okay. So the assumption, from, basically from the way this is described, and of course we don't have a, uh, a screenshot or a visual of this, but from the way this is described, I would not say that it's the monitor. Okay, understand these mo- the monitors that are used in these arcade games are they're they're pretty dumb. <laughs> they, <laughs> they really just you know they're only as good as the input 
Um, they don't really do any type of uh, – they're, they're doing no processing at all. They're just kind of putting out what's given in, you know, given to them. So mm-hmm. from the way this is described, no, I would not assume that it's the, uh, the monitor. And, and uh, Chris, you, you mentioned before – when we were talking about this before the recording – uh, you had a thought about this regard. Actually, I'm going to let you take over at this point. Well, you know, I, I, I thought for a minute and I thought, well, gee, you know, there's, a, there's always this VRAM addresser board that's on there that might not be seated. Right. That's a possibility. Um, I just, I kind of start going down the, the path of wondering if, if maybe it's, it's one of the EPROMs that has the graphics part in it. And there's a, a bit that's just not making great contact, uh, that's a possibility. Um, there is a possibility that could be video RAM, um, but I'm I'm going to assume if it's a, a thin vertical line that it has more to do with um, something in the in the character EPROMs um, or something like that. So those are those are quick replacement. They're all them all of them are socketed. Uh, that includes the VRAM addresser, and I think you can pick one of those boards up for like twenty bucks, something like that. Um, you know, and I just thought uh, uh, there's also a website, 2bits.com. Oh, yes. And he has a lot of – he has, actually has the, like a, a replacement whole daughter board. that He, ha- he, he has, has a little setup that you can put on your game that, that removes a lot of the components that could potentially be bad on your Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man board. And Pac-Man being a Namco board, uh, they have all these custom Namco chips that are interchangeable with other namco games that uh like to you know, like you were talking about the the vram addresser and, and all that i think that i think his board may bypass some of that so stuff. some I, of that stuff i believe the board what does it do does it bypass i believe it bypasses the the eprom section and moves it over to a daughter card um I, it's you know it's been a long time since i've looked at that at that product offering, but they also do have a, a test chip that uh, runs on that as well. Um, but something to keep in mind: the 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 test chips and and even the self test for for Pac Man or Miss Pac Man uh, will tell you that everything is okay. But once it gets into the EPROMs that are in the video section that display the characters, mm-hmm. uh, the the character graphical data, the microprocessor doesn't have visibility on those. Right. So if there's those no are, feedback. It's just an output yeah. only, and it it does its thing. Exactly. And- so if the outputs of those EPROMs are going bad or getting funky or something like that, it, that those self tests won't reveal that. Um, so I I just suggest burning a couple of EPROMs. Doing that swap, try swapping out the VRAM addresser. Beyond that, you're going to need classical board repair. Right. Okay, excellent. Our next question is from Wendy. I have a question. I have a 1987 TerraForce cocktail table game. I was wondering if you could put the 16-in-1 JAMA board in it without, much, um, without too much trouble. I see a lot of Pac-Man games with 61 boards already installed in them. Just wondering if I can do this to my game as well. Well, I had to. Well, did you know, did you know that game Terra Force? I didn't know that. I did not. Didn't know that game. So we, uh, I looked that game up, and luckily, it is indeed a JAMA game with. So the the, the criteria you need to look for if you want to put a 61 board in your game with minimal or no alteration to the game is 
is it a JAMA game? And is it a CGA, which is also known as standard resolution output? Luckily, that game is. So that that game could not be any easier to convert. You just literally unplug the game board, plug the... I, you know, one thing I would suggest is before you plug the 60-in-1 game in, check your voltages. Mm-hmm. You know, that what's that What's that thing I said? ASAP, always start at power. <laughs> check check <laughs> your... We need... You know, it's too bad Keith isn't here because I, I think he would tell us, check your voltages. He would. <laughs> <laughs> check your voltages first. If you have, if you have a multimeter... But it's just going to be a straight swap. You can uh, uh, put the 61 board right in the place of your existing game board. Yeah. I think there's one more factor, though, in converting a JAMA cabinet over there is the, is the monitor orientation. So right. I believe vertical a lot, a lot of these 60-in-1s are vertically oriented. Is that right? 60-in-1s are vertical, yes. Yeah. And you know what? I did not look to see what TerraForce was. So... You know, if you can imagine... Well, the, if it's horizontal, just cock your head to the left and play your game. It's fine. You'll, you'll be fine. Lay the game yeah. on its side. Yes. Put it on some stools so <laughs> it's at eye level. Lay down uh, on a nice pillow. But if it is a... Hor- if the screen is horizontal, if it is uh, wider, then it is taller. Uh, they do have the rough equivalent to the 16-in-1. It's the 19-in-1, ah. you know, that has a uh, Robotron and... Uh, Oh, I don't know. Many <laughs> and many other games. <laughs> Awesomeness um, that you could put in it, uh, or or you can just flip the monitor Phys- physically. Uh, you know, uh, change it in the cabinet. Yep, yep. All right, good deal. Next question we got is from uh, Matin or Matan or Matt. Uh, hi there. Just got a Golden Axe Revenge of Death Adder System 32 PC board on eBay. It said it was a working board. However, I've connected it to my Super Gun cabinet, and I get no picture or sound. The LED on the board is lit, but nothing else. 5 volts is at about 5.3 volts. Any suggestions? Okay. So picked up the game board on eBay. Plugs it into a system. By the way, the um, Super Gun system is basically just a way to connect a JAMA game board into this system that lets you uh, can let you pl- uh, allows you to play it on a um, conventional TV. Um, and he, so it's you know kind of the same thing as putting it in a in a JAMA cabinet, or if you have a JAMA test rig, and it's not working. Five volts is at five point three volts DC. So first things first. That 5.3 is a little high. I, I, I did a little, uh, I pulled up the manual for that, that particular game, and it has over voltage protection to 5.8 volts. So I, ha- I feel very confident he's done no damage to the game board, but we still need to get that voltage at the game board below like 5.25. I would, you know, everybody kind of has their own opinion on this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I like about five point somewhere between five volts and five point one volts on my mm-hmm. game board, but that's not going to magically make it start working right and here's my suggestion since this is a uh, just a another jamma game board i have I have a jamma game board i don't even know what title it is I have a jamma game board that I have in my bench that I use for testing 
purposes. Just a if reference I, board. Just a reference board that I know works. Doesn't you know? Of course, you can pick you can pick a jama a working jama board up on eBay if you don't care what the title is for next to nothing. Right. And it's great for situations like this because you know if you pick this up on eBay, if you can put in a known working jama board into your system, and everything's good, you you, you know. The game board's bad, and mm-hmm. you know there's there's really you know if you got this if, if this was picked up off eBay you know there's nothing to do at this point but to you know work with the seller right yeah it, they they may or may not push back on on that but hey another point about just having a test jamma board uh, usually the cheaper ones are because they were <laughs> unpopular titles and the bonus for that is that because they were unpopular titles chances are pretty good they were not in service that long and they weren't touched by anybody so they're in pretty good physical shape too right usually <laughs> and that's what I have found so awesomeness okay our next question is from Kevin after being off for a few months, I turned on my four-player NBA jam to notice the top and the bottom of the screen is cut off and the sides have smushed in. I adjusted the uh, knobs smushed. and was able to get the horizontal part of the screen mm. to stretch a bit, but not all the way to the edge. I cannot get the vertical to adjust enough to show the top and bottom of the screen. Are these symptoms indicative of needing new caps? So he said a word. I'll let you take over here. But he said a word here that's very helpful here. The whole the smushed in part, right? Yes. Well, everybody just get ready for this answer because it's the most Where's, complicated where, where answer is, ever. Where is Keith it's, when we need him? If, if you thought that my, my topic on Logic Gates was going to be confusing, get ready for me to blow your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yes. Yes? That's my answer. Yes. Do a cap kit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now seriously addressing the question. Yes. So, yeah. So, the magic word was smushed. So, if you've got, you know, geometry issues or whatever on your monitor, it's probably a good indication, um, you know, right. that you need to do a cap kit. At the very least, that's where you start. Um, you know, yes, it's possible to have geometry issues where all the caps are perfectly fine. And at that point, you've got much bigger issues than caps. But you have to eliminate. But, I mean, you know, anytime you have monitor problems, and we're going to, we will probably say this every episode, right? If you have always. monitor problems, the easiest thing to do, I mean, I've been doing this for I don't know how many years. I don't want to know how many years I've been doing this, but. You when you have monitor problems, start with a cap kit. If that doesn't resolve, it needs probably needs to be done anyway. Get it out of the way, and then if you still have problems, then it's time to start troubleshooting. Right, right, and, and yeah, I know there's arguments to the contrary of that, but um, you know what? It's something that is is. Good I disagree with all those arguments uh, to the I contrary. <laughs> of course, you they're do. wrong. They are wrong because <laughs> we're us. No. <laughs> Um, no, it's just I, I I I get that the answer. It's easy to say, just do a cap kit, just do a cap kit. Um, but I think there's some some there is some decisions that can be made where, hey, I just did the cap kit and really it didn't change a thing. Well, okay, now you've got to really kind of look at other issues, semiconductor issues that maybe aren't included in the cap kit uh, as part of the problem. Um, but. Yes, just do a cap kit and listen to us. It's fine. Just just obey. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously. But seriously, just obey. <laughs> Our next question is from Rick. I have a Miss Pac-Man arcade game. The lights and monitor work, 
but the game doesn't. I was looking at a board and found that there was a plug that had been added to it. It looks like they cut the red, black, orange, and green wires and wired them to this plug that's soldered to the board. What could it be for? Uh, the picture shows, obviously, a hacked-up looking connector although the connector doesn't look bad itself i think it was just an existing connector that they soldered in well for 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 what could that that (laughs) connector be for eric okay now this modification you will see not only on what was it do you have miss pack or pack you'll see this on so many games from this time period pole position was a big one that they did that a lot with basically what's going on is the main power going to the board will go in through you know a couple of wires which translates to a couple of terminals on the edge connector and you know these games draw uh, you know about three or three or four amps and all that current is going through one or two or three little pads on the edge connector and that's kind of your your chain's weakest link over time that that uh, except that that amount of current going through there it's almost like a little small resistor low value resistor and it gets hot and when it gets hot it starts kind of uh, deteriorating and the resistance goes up a little bit when the resistance goes up a little bit it gets even hotter and so on and and so on and so forth until it just starts getting you know, thermal get- runaway <laughs> Run. So to combat this problem, <laughs> this um, engineering shortcoming of the game, the operators would just completely bypass the connector, the edge connector, and use their own connector um, and run it through you know multiple wires. But basically, just get the power soldered directly to the board or sent directly to the board, bypassing the edge connector. Nothing wrong with this. Not only is there nothing wrong with this, but it's actually a pretty good practice, in my opinion. I've done it with with some of my games as well. Now you can, you know, if you have a, if you think you have a problem with, you can take your edge connector, the female part of it loose. You can use some Scotch Brite or sandpaper or whatever and clean the terminals. Not sandpaper (laughs) or whatever, whatever (laughs) abrasive component you would like to use. To yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Sandpaper is not a good one, but uh, but basically all you're doing is just bypassing the power input on the edge connector to the game board, which is, is honestly a, you know, it, it, for situations like this, I mean, it's a pretty good thing to do. I, you know, I've, I've seen people try and attempt to repair the fingers on the board. Oh yeah. Lay new solder on it. It always looks bad or glue, glue down new, uh, new copper. And it just, it, it, once those edge connectors are damaged, there's no really fixing them for the long term. You can make them kind of work, but it's it's not permanent, right? So no, I don't disagree. It's not pretty, but and I think there's ways to make it prettier than some something that the typical op will do, right? The ops. So you have to understand the ops job is to make their fix as quickly as possible. It doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to keep earning quarters, right? On the other hand. We lovingly take the time and and caress the new connector <laughs> and properly dress the new connector and 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 uh, strain relief it and all that other good stuff um, to make it look more factory than than ops typically do. So, okay, excellent, awesome. 
Uh, next question is from Nick. Hello, I saw a video on YouTube which helped me a lot in getting uh, started in old arcade uh, repair. I believe that one of my chips for the video is bad. Do you know a way to test the chips and where to buy replacements? Thanks for your help, Nick. Now, Nick hmm. does not say which game he's talking about. He's just saying, hey, I've got this arcade machine. I'm, I'm kind of learning the ins and outs of it. I've, I've got some bad chips on my arcade board. How do I test my chips? Oof. Well, there's there's a there's a lot of directions we could <laughs> go here. We just keep opening these these can of worm questions, don't we? So, um, so the short answer, the quick answer is, um, especially if it's like RAM or something like that, chances are it's socketed. So, get known good chips and swap it in. That's the quickest test. It's on the operating platform. You'll know pretty much right off the bat whether or not the chip was bad. It either fixes it or it doesn't. Right. And, you know, Chris, I want to stop you for just a second there. If you don't, let's say you've got your game at home. You don't have any replacement parts, but you have this bank of, say, four RAM chips, and you think you may have a bad one. Instead of waiting until you can order a new one, you can swap positions and see if your problem moves. moves. Correct. There's always that as well. And that's kind of a cheap and dirty way of, of, of testing. Right. It's a cheap and dirty way, and, of course, it confuses the subject as, as you start swapping and forgetting which chip Where was where it originally? And, and what was that? Now it's like find the bad chip. And so finding the bad chip can be a, a thing, especially if there's a lot of video RAMs. So um, the other way, of course, is that they actually make – they do make testers that you can pop, pull the chip out and install it, and it'll run a, a RAM test. Um I think we talked about a couple shows ago or even last show about um, the differences in RAM testing methodology may or may not reveal a fault within a RAM chip if you're testing it in an isolated way, unless you start getting into some very heavy-duty, high-dollar RAM test fixtures. And the, the test RAM testing uh, built into the programming of the game is not quite as good as other means it's of testing it. It's not quite as it. good. So I will assert that the separate standalone microcontroller-based RAM testers are going to be somewhat less effective than the RAM test that's built into the game because I believe the tests are going to be running slower um, as opposed to when the RAM is in the game and they're running at full speed um, versus in the game and up against other RAM chips or other things that might be interfering with things. Um, there's a, there's many, many factors. So um, the simple answer is it depends on how much money you want to spend. Right. How, how interested are you in having a test, uh, a piece of test equipment that will test that RAM chip versus uh, just using some simple swap logic or um, having... There's also shotgunning. There's shotgunning. Just, yeah, have some spares on hand for, for some common RAM types right and there is a um, a guy neolock is the yes. uh, n-e-o-l-o-c-h i believe yes makes a little ram tester yeah he makes it both as an assembled unit and as a kit and i picked up the kit several years ago i think he has a new version of it out now that tests more versions of of ram and right. uh even some pia chips of uh but he, he had, that's a good kit it looks it looks like it's well put together, and uh, depending on depending on 
how um how I, I believe the last one that that I think you gave me your old one, believe it or not. I think I did. Yeah, the original one with no LCD and, screen on it. And yeah. there's, um, believe it or not, they publish open source software. So if you wanted to go in there and change the testing methodology, if you were so inclined to do that, you, I believe you could. So I don't know if he's released the the newest Neolock stuff or not, but um, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, cool. Awesome. Well, hopefully that answers your question there, Nick. Our next question is from Alessandro. Hi, I'm having problems with an Invasion, which is a Space Invaders clone uh, cabinet. The PC board works great. The problem is the monitor, which is black and white. Um, Hantrex, I didn't realize Hantrex made black and whites. Um, I recapped with uh, recapped all the capacitors and replaced the transistors near the input pins. Uh, cleaned all the connectors and verified the input voltage. The PC board works for sure because he tested it with a TV with basically a, um, a line level video through a SCART port. So the problem must be uh, in the monitor. Of, and he's attached the video below. Uh, thanks for everything. Uh, so bad news, Alessandro. We could not open your video clip. But um, we can certainly so, talk about black and white monitors a little right. bit. Right. And, you know, these black and white monitors are getting – It's earlier I mentioned how the CRT monitors, you know, are still at this point easy to get. The, the, I'm sorry, the color CRT monitors are, are easy to get, mm-hmm. relatively mm-hmm. speaking. No, no shortage of them yet, even though they haven't been made in – you know, ten plus, ten, you know, ten years, they're they're still easy to come by. Black and white monitors, not so much. No, they're, they're getting, they're getting hard to come by. You know, the uh, some of the components on them are really are are becoming really hard to source. Uh, <laughs> Chris, you mentioned the flybacks on certain ones are. Uh, and you know, I, yeah, I'm, where are you going to order them? Do they even offer cap kits for black and white monitors? I haven't seen them, yeah, except for like the XY monitors. But that's right, it. like a Geo Five. Yeah, you know, yeah. But the uh, uh, the Motorola was a big supplier mm-hmm, of uh, mm-hmm. black and white monitors. The uh, you mentioned capacitors. A lot of the capacitors on those monitors are odd values that before they kind of standardized all the capacitor values. They're odd and oddly, there's very few of them, (laughs) (laughs) but yes, finding, finding replacements for those, uh, with the original values while, while you can special order them or get them available, chances are very slim that you'd find them in the same can. Sometimes they'll have a single can that's got two or three capacitors in one can. Multi leads. Uh, Yeah. So that those are very hard to come by. Um, other components that are hard to come by, uh, I believe you mentioned, was the high voltage rectifier right. okay. and assembly and holder and all that. Yeah, good stuff. so with a conv- with a color CRT monitor, your flyback has built into it on the output, the anode output, the high voltage output, a diode. Um, the black and white monitors had this high, very high voltage diode. Uh, it ex- you know, it was a exterior part mm-hmm. of the flyback. And uh, those are getting hard to come by yes. as well. Uh, so you know, if if you're looking for this answer of oh, you know what, I, there's a place where you can get all these components. <laughs> it's it's uh, 
It's really getting hard to find. It's now. getting hard, but I believe there are. I mean, there are discussion forums out there. There are people that are affectionados of these old black and white games, and they restore them, and so they'll they'll know where they can source these parts. But last, it's been you know what? It's been about five or six years before I've even since I've even looked at a black and white monitor, and um, I, I seem to remember that even the parts were becoming elevated in price so i can't imagine so what they are i now. guess i guess the key thing to take away from this question is if you have any black and white machines start hoarding <laughs> hoarding or you never know or, or petitioning for parts to be remanufactured you know that's <laughs> that's how they're that's how they're doing the flybacks at this point so right no that's yeah that's a good point yeah awesome Okay, it's on to the next one. This one is from Phil. Hi, I have a Phoenix game, Centuri. This game, the game will be working fine, but all of a sudden the screen will go off center and to the left side of the screen will be on the right and vice versa. So the left and the, anyway. The color changes from dark to light. Lastly, what's the best or easiest way to clean behind the outer plastic screen? He's got some cobwebs back there, he says. <laughs> so he has Phoenix. Um, I had one of these many years ago, and I was really trying to remember how the game was, how it disassembled from the front, how to get mm-hmm. behind the uh, the monitor bezel, the front glass to the bezel. And, you know, I, I couldn't remember on my particular game, but oftentimes you are able – Usually how you get to it is you re- take you reach in through your coin door, unlatch the control panel. Uh, usually there's some little, uh, what would you call those types of latches that you have? They're kind of sprung. Spring, la- spring, yeah. spring clips. Um, it releases, and then the, yeah. the, the control panel will either fold. Sometimes they'll hinge down. Sometimes they'll just come right out. But once you do that, usually the glass can be removed after that, right. that's the common way of of getting behind that. Um, that Although piece. I don't know why, I seem to have this image that those control panels were actually screwed down with carriage oh, bolts yeah. and wing nuts. Like, I don't know why. I'm just I'm having this flashback to the one time that I had my hands inside with that game. But e- either way, re- regardless of how it's fastened, you you know, typically speaking, on any game of that era, you're going to release the control panel. And once you've done that, you can usually get the front front glass out of it. Um, and now, as far as the monitor goes, uh, it says, you know, it's game's working fine. Everything's going well, and the screen will jump off center. And uh, sometimes the color changes from, uh, from dark to very light. And the, the key thing here is going to be, is it, is it just all of a sudden happening? Does it gradually fade? Does it gradually move over or fade in and out, or does it just bam? Does it does it uh, you know happen quickly? And if you apply seventies TV repair knowledge, where you <laughs> was well, that the Fonzie method? Where you whack the side of the cabinet, does it fix itself? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So so I, I know we were talking earlier a little bit about that, and and the the possibility of um, you know, a bad solder connection on the input pins is very much a reality. It sounds, it sounds like because it's starting out okay as it heats up, maybe something is developing a bad connection. Right, and you know we can really actually 
jump ahead to the next question. Chris had a, which is, is going to be relevant to what we just said. Chris had a question about a uh, play choice, Nintendo play choice with the uh, Sanyo 20 Easy. Of course, t- Nintendo used the same monitor for, well, forever. Hmm. The uh, Sanyo 20 Easy monitor. Which ironically was never easy. Not very easy at all. <laughs> When I acquired it, the monitor was dead. I replaced the flyback. The hot, the hot is the horizontal output transistor, and, re, and recapped it. And it booted right up and looks great. Now, a few months later, when I first boot up the arcade, the image starts overlapping, like it kind of, meaning it like folds over on itself. Mm-hmm. Um, after about thirty seconds, it writes itself and then plays with absolutely no issues. Is this something that happens as it boots up, or is there an adjustment off somewhere? Um, so yeah, I do one, think that's about the same. That's yeah, along the same lines. What's really important to know about this, as far as the logic flow of repairing, is is it happening gradually, or is it happening instantaneously? Can you can you hit the side of your machine if you're so inclined to to do, and make it mess up or get better? Well, that's gonna. If that happens, that's gonna indicate, just as you said earlier, it's gonna be a cold solder joint or a, a bad solder joint. Uh, either part, it could be part of your when you did the cap kit. You know, you may have a bad solder joint on it where it's not making a good electrical connection. Now, if it ha- if this is a a, a gradual thing, uh, then that's uh, gonna be a completely different problem. Uh, even though you've put a new cap kit in it. Um, you could have, you know, you, you, I'm not going to say that if you put a cap in a capacitor in backwards, <laughs> it's like you, you would audibly hear the result of that. And then you'd pull the back off the game and see the results of that. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's, if you had a bad capacitor, no, that's not likely. I mean, I don't think you, you know, it's, it's probably, yeah, I doubt you would have picked up a bad cap kit from somebody. Yeah. Um, but you know, also these, uh, Chris, you mentioned earlier that these cap kits don't always give you, you know, all the capacity, everything you need for it. Sometimes they, you know, part of the line filtering, they may not, um, well, for a lot of the smaller value caps, that's what comes in the cap kit. I think when I, when I was mentioning that they don't come with all the the caps in the cap kit, I'm talking, I'm referring to the larger value caps, the ones that tend to not dry out. Um, the main B plus filter cap wouldn't necessarily come with it. Um, obviously the, the mica caps or the, the metalized film caps for some of the horizontal retrace stuff don't come in cap kits. Um, but in this particular case, it just seems like something isn't making a connection, but then after 30 seconds, it makes the connection properly. So this bad connections happen in, in multiple ways. You know, I think it, it just marks the possibility for all of that. Right, right. So if it, if it's happening, once again, just as a recap, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> if it's <laughs> happening. <laughs> oh, you're so funny, Mr. Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> if it's happening instantaneously, look for a bad solder connection. Right. If it's happening gradually, that's very indicative of a bad capacitor. Yeah. And a lot of times on these bad connections, you can, you know, if you wiggle the input connector, you can see that it, it actually affects the picture. Um, uh, for for things that are not very accessible, um, I, I know for one, I 
I never featured the idea of poking my hands around a monitor that's that's lit up even if I'm five inches away from it. It's not something that I feature. Um, you can always take a, a, a wooden dowel and kind of poke around lightly on the board and see if vibration local can be localized um, to, to something on the chassis. Well, Chris, this uh, question and answer session is uh, – we've been going for quite a while on this. So you know what? I'm going to let you pick the last question Ooh. out of what we have left, and we'll pick, the rest of the questions we'll pick up next month. So okay. well, what do you think? You know, I think there's um... – <laughs> uh, let me see. I think – let's see. There was one that was very entertaining to me here. Because I just think it's very interesting. Oh, I think the one from Rob. Okay. Let's read the one from Rob. Uh, I have an ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 where I work that has no video. When you power it up, you hear and see a spark near the flyback transformer on the board along with some little puffs of smoke. Based on the materials I've reviewed lately, this sounds like a potentially bad flyback. My question is, how can I confirm it? More importantly, where can I find the model number of the monitor? I didn't see it anywhere, but I have not removed the monitor PC board yet. Rob, your detective skills are dead on. Wow. I, I don't, yes, I, 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 I was clueless for a while, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> we're riven, you were. <laughs> of course, we're kidding around, but yes, Rob, you are one. Hundred percent correct. You, if you uh, once you once you hear that hear that sound, you're you're see, you know it's the flyback has this plastic outer casing and it's, and if it ever uh, cracks and then you know kind of pops open, uh, you're you'll you know you'll get this uh, the sparking and the and the sound that goes yes, along with that it. is effectively a breakdown of your insulation. Right. Right. Yes. And now and the so, puffs of smoke are the magic, magic puffs smoke. Of smoke. The magical that smoke being makes released. it all work. Yeah, they they work hard to compress this magic smoke inside of all of these electrical. It's a process. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, all right. All, all kidding aside, now. Um, the, he, okay, w- yes, you've got a bad flyback. So yes, how do you know which which flyback to get? Uh, there is one source that I really like to determine which, like if I have a game, I'm like, man, I don't know. This is, this is some monitor chassis I've never seen. The Bob Roberts website has um, a section in it that lets you compare uh, the, the pic- you know, th- what your monitor looks like to uh, – he has pictures so you can, you can determine what, your, uh, what, you know, what model and brand uh, that you have. Now, if you've been on the uh, any of the the video game forums lately, the KLOV, you know that uh, Bob Roberts is currently not in business and may not be returning. May not be returning, which is very very sad news yeah, for us. He's, he's serviced the a community pillar, for a veritable uh, pillar of the community, me. but his website's still up. The website's still up, and you ha- you can find it by googling the real Bob Roberts. I don't know if it's a .dot com or a .dot net or whatever. Do you suppose there were some imitation Bob Roberts that were selling uh, shoddy 
arcade components, and he had to say, I am the real Bob Roberts. I don't know if the history behind that. I just know <laughs> that if you just type in Bob Roberts, there's a lot of Bob Roberts <laughs> results that come up. So, yeah, why not? So, anyway, the Bob Robert, the real Bob He's actually Roberts. a hipster. He's, he, he just looks older. He's, he's, a, he's a young hipster. That's why he's the real Bob Roberts. <laughs> Got to have that, that, that internet edge. <laughs> but no we miss we miss bob roberts yeah, he, he we, was again he, even being a, a pillar of the community he's like one of the few vendors that I mean, he was old school he would he would cross ship to you before he received payment before he did business with you he would cross ship and then if you if, if of course if you stiffed him you ended up on oh, his he had bad a list buyers list and he would make it public and then you would never be able to order from him uh, cross ship again but um, I found that admirable. That's very, um, and you know, there's a lot of cool. there, there's a lot of information on his website. There it's, is, you know, especially if you're new to this, he gives instructions on how to, you know, wire up aftermarket power supplies. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of a lot of good articles. On Not his easy website. to navigate, but once you get to those articles, you'll see there's a lot of uh, somebody named is it Bear or something. I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, lots of lots of great. You know, yeah, I to, think he made his wire. website back in like AOL days yes. from twenty years ago. But yes. it's all there. Yes. It's all there. It, it instructions on how to you know wire an AC um, uh, cord up and interlock switch into a cabinet if you're making a cabinet from scratch and homemade or whatever. Then then there's instructions on how to do all that. So very good resource. I hope um, uh, it's being archived if Bob doesn't come back. Um, so that those resources can be available somewhere. Excellent. I think that's the end of our question list, All at right. least for this month. We'll make a note, and we apologize. Uh, there's been some delays because... Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, Eric's been on his own tour, so to speak, the last few weeks. What, what's what been going on with you, Eric? Well, there's a uh, new arcade player in our family now. So I uh, welcomed my new son to the family. Congratulations! A week, a week and a half ago. So um, hopefully we'll be back on course and doing this monthly. I know it's been a while since we've done one. We actually kind of pushed a few questions off uh, in this episode that we'll have to yes. pick up next month. But, we'll come uh, back with more, we promise. But uh, anyway... Now, Eric, make sure. I, I, I thought I, I was worried that you might do this, but no, you cannot install your baby in your pinball machine as a new toy. Ah, that's sorry. That that would be awesome for show, but he no, he has to learn how to <laughs> how to play. I thought that was going to be the easiest. He could. That's like a you know good first person view of how it's the ball. No, <laughs> and I can't no, do that. No, no, oh. no, 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 no. Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, guys, if you will send your questions to podcast at arcaderepairtips.com, we'll get those and we will answer them as quick as we possibly can, right? Awesome. Yeah. We'll see you. We'll, we'll, We'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Arcade Repair Tips question and answer podcast.
All of our episodes are available for download at ArcadeRepairTips.com or at the iTunes Music Store under Podcast. This podcast is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult a professional before attempting to repair any coin-operated machines yourself. The preceding program is a Varcade Entertainment production.